millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Jacob Marley is dead. This must be distinctly understood or nothing wonderful can come of the podcast you are about to listen to. I saw three ships come sailing in on Christmas Day, on Christmas Day. I saw ships come sailing in on Christmas Day in the morning. So I was playing uh, Settlers Catan today with the kids and it just kind of hit me that it's, I mean, I heard this from other people and I think there was even an article out years ago about like what about what I'm saying, but it really is just the better version of Monopoly. Like upgrading from a settlement to a city is the same thing as you're going from a house to a hotel in monopoly and then you also have like the need to trade with other people in the game and 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 talk with other people and i i, I it's been a long time since i've played settlers Catan, uh but it's it's a pretty good game it is nope no, nobody. Okay, I got. I was looking for something there. All right, nothing there. Okay, yeah, no, we no. can dangle it in the wind. Eight episodes no. into this damn thing, and I need to always have the transitions. Well, well, no. I was. I'm just waiting. I'm trying to figure out what the natural transition is. There is none, John. I'm just making up stuff here. Okay. And this I is all going to so get left the, in now. This is all going to get left in. The argument could be made, I guess, that the the cutthroat nature of. Uh, Settlers of Catan is a nice mirror to the cutthroat nature of Ebenezer Scrooge. We'll, we'll call it that because <laughs> welcome to Jacob Marley is Dead. This is a podcast where uh, we play Settlers of Catan, but mostly we talk about Charles Dickens's A Christmas Carol. Uh, more specifically this week, we're going to be discussing the 1971 animated short feature A Christmas Carol starring friend of the show Alistair Sim reprising yeah. his role as Ebenezer Scrooge 20 years later. Um, and we are not uh, alone in this endeavor today, since this is our very first animated episode. Uh, and this is an area where James and I, while we watch a lot of animated movies, I would say we don't quite have the professional expertise. Um, I thought that I would bring in an actual animation professional, my brother, Milo, who works in Hollywood. I sure do. Working on animated movies. Hello. Yeah, representing from the West Coast. It's me. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> uh, good to be here. Oh, I'm excited. Yeah. So um, you're new new to our audience. So tell us about yourself. What do you do in in the uh, the the glorious Los Angeles yeah, area? So, um... So I am a storyboard artist. Um, I've been working in the industry for like the animation industry for six years at this point, something like that. 
off <laughs> something like that. Um, I've worked I've worked at um, a handful of studios. Uh, most of my career has been at Warner Brothers Animation. Um, uh, a little bit with smaller studios. I, I did a year at Universal Animation, and actually at the moment I'm working um, at uh, Disney Television Animation, um, working on a new series which has not been announced yet, so I can't say any, any more about it. Interesting. <laughs> but but I work cool. on, yeah, I work in cartoons, and I, um, I've directed a little bit, and I storyboard, and yeah, that, that, is, that is my expertise. Radical. <laughs> Radical. All yeah. two members of our audience, you heard it here first about this new project. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so like I said, we're watching the, the Richard Williams animated short of A Christmas Carol. Go ahead, James. Did I get an intro? <laughs> oh, and uh, oh, I never did like the I'm John and this is James, did I? No, you did not. Oh, that's a pain. That's a pain in the butt. Well, I'm John, your host. And I'm Jim, your sidekick. <laughs> Jimmy is here. Also, yeah. I'm going to have to edit the little... crap out of this. Yeah, you can just. Yeah, uh, I'm, I might be around. bumping up to a co-host noticed. here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think I think I think you should, Jim. I've been telling you, co-host, for four weeks like, now. It's like he just—he's okay. He's just going to replace me with. Okay, I'm out of here. <laughs> yeah, it's fine. You've been—you've been replaced. Well, I'm not used to having a guest. We're—we're we're usually not that important. Um, uh, no, true. That's what I'm saying. It's true. <laughs> I'm sure the first of many. No, one be auspicious, actually. One only, <laughs> one only hopes. One only yeah. hopes. So, uh, Richard Williams, uh, I understand that Milo is going to give us a little bit of deeper background, but for the layman, uh, he is probably best known for Who Framed Roger Rabbit and The Thief and the Cobbler. Um, those are those are like the two most mainstream things I can think of that that yeah. he's associated with. Um, he also worked for a while for Ardman Animation, I believe, which does like the Wallace and Gromit. Yeah, he um, did that kind of towards the end of his career. Um, and I think they kind of had him on as I'm not 100 percent sure what he did while he was working there. I mean, I, I assuming traditional animation, probably doing stuff uh, like animation tests and stuff like that before they did okay. the stop motion animation. Um but I, I, some, I think I was reading a quote where they were saying he was kind of like the resident celebrity um, because he is kind of a legend in the industry. And at this point, by the time he was working at Ardman, he had already done so many things and was, you know, he's not a household name for most people, but he is a household name for animators. Definitely. Okay. <laughs> I was going to say, I was going to say Milo, cause I've heard the stories of like how long it took for him to work on. And he never even finished thief and the cobbler the way he wanted it yeah. to finish. But like yeah. this, he is, he's a name of reverend. Uh, what was that word I'm looking for? Uh, reverence. Reverence. <laughs> there we go. Yeah. Yeah. Reverence. Yeah. In the animated field. That's awesome. 100 percent well i mean like so the big thing with him um you know to kind of uh are you all right john if i just kind of roll yeah do your this, thing you know I feel yeah like this is probably yeah. a good time um I, I think what what makes him really significant um he had a really long career he he was born um in canada both of his parents were were artists um and his his stepfather, I think, was like an ad executive or something like that. Uh, but his mother was like a really um, a, a pretty well known um, illustrator, um, and her her work was really inspired by like 
you know, like Arthur Rackham, like kind of classic illustrators like that. She did a lot of kind of this like fairy tale sort of sort of stuff. And I think that really had an impact on him. I think that and, um, you know, like all of the uh, I, I think that's what kind of put in his head these sort of like um, sort of some of the stories he would later kind of draw upon for like a thief and a cobbler. I think he got that like right in childhood. Um, and he had like he had this career where like as like a 15 year old, he was getting thrown out of the Disney lot because he was sneaking away from tour groups to go talk to animators um, which 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 rules. Um, and eventually he Oh, sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> no, I'm just saying, I remember now hearing that story. I forgot about that. I was like, that is such an amazing thing for a kid. Like, oh, there's a kid. He can be in our movies. Awesome. <laughs> he was just, yeah, he was literally, he would be on the, they taking a tour on the Disney lot and just sneak away from the, from the audience just because he wanted to go talk to the animators. You know, I think he, he saw um, Snow White when he was five and it kind of, you know, opened his mind, right? <laughs> the animation. I think I have written down as a note, like he, he saw um, Snow White as a five-year-old and lost his freaking mind because he just it kind of became like a lifelong obsession after that. Um, That's wild. But but to but to kind of move ahead, he um, he, he did eventually get to meet all these all these Disney animators as like a young man. I think his mom had a connection or something, so he started learning about animation young. Um, and he became kind of a, com he actually started working as a commercial artist, um, an illustrator, like when he was 17, he was, he was doing gigs and making money. Um, and, and as, as his life progressed, he did actually kind of, you know, as a young man sort of drift away from animation. He, he, um, moved, uh, to Ibiza for a little bit, um, and in, when he was there, he was like, he was trying to be a painter, but he was also like playing jazz music to make money. Um, and he he kind of did fall back in love with animation during this period. And he started storyboarding um, his first short film, which is um, uh, a short film called... Sorry. <laughs> You're good. Um Oh, his his first short film was uh, called The Little Island. Um, so he started storyboarding that while he was in Ibiza, kind of finding himself as a as like a young man. Um, and uh, he that that short film would eventually win him his first BAFTA award for best animated film. So that's kind of a wild thing at a very young age. Um, eventually, he moves to England and he starts working for an animation studio there. Um, he releases his second short film in 1962, um, which is called Love Me, Love Me, Love Me, which was so, which was financially successful enough for him that he, he ended up using it as a springboard to start his own company, Richard Williams Studio. Um, he, so like he would go on after doing all this commercial work for all these years um, and doing a bunch of shorts. He like, you know, he did the Christmas Carol short, which I'm sure we'll get to talking about at some point. I'm so sorry. Um, and, but uh he also started working on his personal project, which would go on to be, you know, the thief and the cobbler, which was this sort of like, um, originally I think it started off as like, as being kind of based on like, um, Turkish, um, folk stories kind of, or no, no, they were, they were based on like the stories of a, of a, of a 13th century satirist from, I guess what is now Turkey. 
you know and so they were these kind of interesting like middle eastern um stories uh and parables um and he started working on that in the 60s and his his plan was to basically make that into the greatest animated film that's ever been made like those were his ambitions and as somebody who's watched what is called uh the recobbled cut because uh spoilers unfortunately richard never got to finish it the way he wanted to finish it <laughs> no he didn't <laughs> um fans have worked tirelessly to try to cobble together no i guess pun intended um what work he had finished of it the original cells everything and trying to put it together and Maybe eventually it will get finished in some form that would be closer to his original vision. I've seen it. Yeah, I've seen the recoupled <laughs> cut. It's fantastic. The animation he did get done, it's beautiful. There's a wonderful mosaic chase in one of the part of the movie. It's great. It's 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 really wild. It's it's very ambitious. And and kind of like the short version of what happened with that is that after um after he was animation director on Who Framed Roger Rabbit, which was really the most notable thing. Um, or the most famous thing he ever worked on, um, he was able to secure funding to work on it on like a larger scale, not just like him and his buddies working on it, which was kind of what he was doing before, um, or he was paying the people working at his studio to do some shots for him now and then. The The short version of it is that, you know, this was a passion project that he had and that he was working on in the background for 30 years. And as soon as he got it involved with a large studio system, he couldn't, he was too much of a perfectionist and it was like too ambitious and expensive. And that doesn't really play well in the industry where you kind of need to get shit done and put it out and make money um and in addition to that i think what also happened was that it was coming out in 1992 on the same day as disney's aladdin um when he was working on roger rabbit and the the feature film that he worked on before that which was the raggedy andy and ann movie um he brought on a lot of young talent um for those for those movies um i think for raggedy and and andy he brought on eric goldberg who um what would go on to be like a director at disney he directed um mulan no wait no he didn't direct mulan i'm sorry that's that was that's tom bancroft um he directed um hercules i think Wait, what the hell did he direct? He directed something over at Disney. But he was also the animator for... He animated Aladdin, um, Genie in Aladdin. He animated Phil in Hercules. Um, uh, he was kind of known for like bringing some of that like Warner Brothers sensibility to Disney because all of his characters were like these big, elastic, cartoony characters. Um, and uh, he also... Um, he, I think he's still working at Disney, actually, or he was last time I like was able to visit the the feature studio. Um, but um, uh, the other animator uh, who kind of came on for um, for Who Framed Roger Rabbit, who who I feel like is really significant, is James Baxter, who was like nineteen or twenty or something on Who Framed Roger Rabbit, and he would I would say is the best living traditional animator without a doubt he he animated um bell in beauty of the beast he animated the scene in beauty of the beast where the camera swings down in 3d in the ballroom um where we see bell and beast dancing which is kind of one of the most amazing technical 
animation shots i think i think in like the whole history of of uh animation he animated quasimodo um in Mm. in hunchback of notre dame and which also has a lot of crazy 3d camera moving shots that he did animate the shot of quasimodo climbing up um on top of the balcony and holding esmeralda over his head and yelling sanctuary so he brought on again all these young animators like these guys those are just examples like he brought on a ton of people and in addition to that like he'd been hiring all of these like older artists from warner brothers and disney throughout all the years you know like so so ken harris is a big one who you know like a big um one of chuck jones's big animators um but also like Grim Natwick, who who worked on Betty Boop and um, Art Babbitt. So he, he had hired on all this talent and it kind of turned his studio into like a training house for new animators. So I think that's kind of the really significant thing is like on one hand, you had these guys like Glenn Keane and um, Dale Bear, who were like animators who were trained in the 70s um, over at Disney, kind of training the next generation of, of animators that would go on to be like the Disney Renaissance animators. But on the other, you know, over in England at Richard Williams Studio, because that's where his studio was, he he here was Richard Williams and and all these old kind of animation masters passing on all this wisdom to all these new animators. After... Um, he had the thief and the cobbler taken away from him. He he closed the studio. He retired. He moved back to Canada, but he started teaching animation master classes to make a living. And uh, the notes from those master classes end up making the um, forming the basis for his 2002 book, The Animator's Survival Kit, which is the I'd say top one of the top three like most essential books to have as an animator if not the first one I, it was the first one I bought it's the first one my my like uh, teachers told me to buy and it's like it's just this giant bible which I actually have right here of of wisdom it's huge so I feel like that's kind of Richard Williams's legacy now is that he is this guy who one trained a whole generation of artists at his studio but then also went on to write the definitive work on animation that is continuing to like kind of educate even further generations like my generation of animators which is like i'm the next next generation of animators from the disney renaissance people you know um that's wild that's yeah. wild well in, in the interest Williams. of time there you go yeah yeah no that's awesome i i'm not sure how much of that I, I'm going to try to keep as much of this as I can, but I yeah. honestly might do a bonus episode. That's like just your dissertation on because <laughs> yeah, it's no, fascinating. I mean, totally, I knew he totally was a fair. big deal, but um, it, it didn't, I knew he was a big deal because of that book. Um, and because yeah. of like the films he had done, I just didn't realize how much, like what his sphere of influence was. So anyway, yeah, yeah pretty broad for someone who's like almost obscure outside. Yeah. And yeah. while I you didn't know? remember his, and I gotta be, I, I didn't remember his name, but I remember the story, and the story of Richard Williams is a fascinating story. And um, thank you, Milo, for sharing that with us here. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's absolutely, really absolutely, absolutely, really awesome. Well, this movie um, was obviously directed by Richard Williams, um, produced by Chuck Jones, obviously another huge name in animation. Yeah. Um, now 45 aired minutes originally. on Chuck Jones. <laughs> yeah, right? No. Almost. I was like going through making notes. I was like, should I write a whole bunch about Chuck Jones? And I'm like, eh. 
Probably not. I think people will figure it out, right? <laughs> yeah. people, people who care will yeah. know. Yeah. Um, it aired originally on ABC and then was so successful it received a theatrical release. Um, and because of that theatrical release, it became... Uh, it was allowed to um, be nominated for an Academy Award, which it won. And it has the distinction of being the animated short that um, cemented the rule that it has to be like a theatrical release to get a nomination because insiders were like, no, this released on TV first. Like we can't give it an award just because it then thereafter was in a movie theater. Um, so this was like the last released on TV and then moved to a movie theater film. Um, to receive the award for best short animated feature. I hate when a film wins an award for something that it qualified for, but because of just one little person being upset by it, they had to redefine the whole rule around. And it's like, it's a short animated film. Yes, it was yeah. on TV, but it was an animated. I mean, okay. they do this. They do the They do that shit all the time. I think like Steven Spielberg a handful of years ago was like, all up in arms about netflix movies being able to be considered for oscars stuff like that you know it's just like "Eh." it's it's like an artificial barrier yeah Um, totally it's sort of elitism this does it's all made up we're up we're making it up as we go come on folks yeah yeah it's all fake none of it's real art is an illusion or something um So this features both Alistair Sim uh, reprising his role uh, as Scrooge from the 1950 uh, adaptation that we talked about before, uh, as well as Michael Hordern, who played Jacob Marley in the 1951 adaptation, also returns to play Jacob Marley in this version. So we get like a nice reunion of them um, 20 years later, literally 20 years later. Um, Let's talk about this movie, guys. Let's talk about it. Thank you all for joining us and for sitting in through that like fascinating conversation. Um, really, really, really interesting stuff. Uh, this is Jacob Marley is Dead, and we are talking about A Christmas Carol. What was in those ships, all three, on Christmas Day, on Christmas Day? And what was in those ships, all three, on Christmas Day in the morning? Our movie begins with the world's most intense rendition of God Rest You Merry Gentlemen, sung by a bunch of, of uh, small children. God <laughs> rest ye. Yeah, yeah. It's it's really heavy. It really starts on like a um, intense note just to give you an idea of what you're in for. Uh, and then we get like some some nice like Christmas, like kind of like a little Christmas montage under the credits. We see a turkey in a window. We see all the who's in Whoville at one point having a hubilation, I'm pretty sure. A little bit. And then we uh, are given kind of a weird narration. Like, we don't get the Jacob Marley was dead narration. It's just like, the place, London. The time, 1843. The person, <laughs> Ebenezer Scrooge. It's a really yeah. weird way to open yeah. this, but... Um, <laughs> For something that I think hews so close to the bone of the original text, it's weird to have it open this way, I felt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I personally would have rather them, uh, like you said, John, stick with the original verbiage, the original text here. But it's, it's it's jarring, but it definitely gets the story going quick. And I think that yeah. they, with the time they had here, they only had it's 25 minutes no more, no less. So they got to yeah, get with it credits. In yeah. With credits. So they got to use every second to the best of their ability and let's just get, get going, I think was the idea yeah. there. Yeah. Um, so there's this really wild 
camera move that happens where it it starts off on this (laughs) clock and then kind of pans down to the street. And then it almost feels like it does like a bunch of barrel rolls like over different parts of the city and then swoops in on Ebenezer Scrooge's window. It's really disorienting. It's it's, it's really disorienting. And it almost like it's what's interesting about it is I almost feel like it in a way kind of like doesn't it almost like doesn't make sense. That's, yeah. I think what's really interesting about it is that it's like it's like flipping and rolling around, but you're always looking down at the city. Have you noticed that? Like it's it yeah, you never see the in sky. a way you should look at the sky. And what's really and what's really interesting about this on a technical level is the way this was done is this is all just like one long illustration that they are panning down. That's all like all that flipping is like an illusion, essentially. Like it is it is one really That's long bananas. distorted panel. You know, because they didn't have computer generation, like they couldn't do some wacky, you know, like Doctor Strange. Um, and that is what it feels like. Doc, it feels like Inception or Doctor Strange mm-hmm. when the buildings are like folding in on each other. It's and it's it's definitely establishing the the style of this animation. It's establishing the tone. It's establishing this idea that what we're going to see is going to be a slightly unnatural experience, I think. Yeah, it's very otherworldly right off the bat, which I think is really interesting. Um, and that is a very, this kind of technique is a very, um, is something that I would say is kind of a, a staple of Richard Williams Studios stuff. There's a, a lot of that in The Thief of the Cobbler, where here's like a long, crazy, um, extreme action sequence that's all one camera move. And it's done by having a, like, if you if you saw these backgrounds drawn out on paper, they would be like insanity, because it's all just like distorted perspective going in different directions. It's all just sort of calculated to make sense when the camera, the actual physical camera pans over this background. Um, it's, it's really fascinating stuff. <laughs> it's funny. I'm look, I'm, I'm rewatching that transition at one twenty five speed on YouTube right now. And it's just like, I can see it like, yep. Nope. That's just one. This is, it's kind of insane watching it go through on like that. Cause Mm-hmm. It does. You ju- You do get it that it's just like one big thing that the camera's moving over top of. That would be this mess, um, and has no real sense of like transition when you go at that speed. But I'm gonna go rewatch it again real quick at normal speed because I have that power. <laughs> and here we go. And like, yeah, at normal speed, it while it's a little off-putting, it definitely feels more like natural in its turns and stuff like that like you're going up and around and all over town and well it, it kind of makes me it makes me think of of the shining actually <laughs> because there's all sorts of stuff with like the way the, sh- the the hotel was built in in the stanley kubrick movie the shining um where like the kid will be biking down a hallway and then he'll turn a corner and then he'll turn like two or three right turns and be in a different part of the hotel. <laughs> you know, there's like all this stuff where like it was that the sets were made and filmed in such a way as to be disorienting where like it kind of when you're watching it, you don't even really think about it. You're like, oh, yeah, that that's, you know, he's just turning and it, it all makes sense logically. But then if you really start thinking about it, there's almost like this dreamlike quality where the geography doesn't work and it doesn't make sense and it becomes disorienting when you think about it that way. And I think there's like a similar sort of dreamlike quality to this opening scene where like it kind of looks it, it you're watching it. So you're like, Oh, well obviously that works because I'm watching it happen. But then if you start thinking about it, you're like, Oh wait, I never saw the sky, even though the camera just did a backflip. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. 
uh, it's really pretty interesting. insane. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and then so, it kind of transitions. Oh, sorry. I was going to say it does transition then into like a fully hand drawn yeah. uh, ca- camera move as it goes into the window where suddenly. Yeah, but it's, it's almost seamless. Frame. It's crazy. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. It becomes a sort of frame by frame animation where the background itself is being animated frame by frame to get you in to Scrooge. Um, yeah, which I think is a really kind of wild. <laughs> wild and it is, stuff. yeah, and it, it it's getting you. It's definitely getting you used to like how you're going to move through space in this movie later on. Mm-hmm. So we get yeah. into the counting house and we see, you know, a very classic looking Scrooge, kind of balding, long nose guy, bent over his desk, and um, Cratchit, who looks like a character from a Penny Dreadful. Like the mm-hmm. the way the characters are designed in this is very of its time like well not of its time but of that kind of 1800s style of illustration mm-hmm. well it's like and i would actually what I'll, what I'll i'll go like one step further if you actually look at the the um the original etchings from mm-hmm. the the original 1843 novel the character designs are taken directly from that's that. so cool Those, yeah you, like fezzy wig shows up later and i think that's a one that's really apparent where you're like oh yeah look at that that is exactly what fezzy Wig looked like in the original etchings for the book same for scrooge um same for um you know robert marley same for uh uh the blah, 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 blah. Uh, that was Ratchet. a Bob Marley. I get to do the yeah. Bob Marley drop. That he said Bob Marley. He didn't say Jacob Marley. I get to oh, drop hey, a Bob Marley shoot. song. Shoot! Oh no! <laughs> hey hey hey! Ah! He's not the first one. He won't be the last one. We're okay, it's only ever friends. happened like one other time. Yeah, and then me, so I'm defending the guy. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, well, my reputation is ruined. That's that's all my credibility out the window. (laughs) That's all right. So while we're looking at the the drawings of uh, Scrooge and... um, um, I almost said Bob Marley again myself there. Uh, And um, (laughs) uh, Bob Cratchit. um, I was seeing how it's interesting where you have only three seconds and you get their dynamic instantly bob is cold he's at the candle he's trying to warm his hands and then there's this look of scrooge to bob uh and it's just this wonderful glare well horrifying glare but like stop warming your hands get back to work and i think that's there are going to be versions and there have been versions that go the whole time and they don't get that dynamic right in the whole film within five seconds they've animated here. And without a word, we get the entire relationship between Scrooge and uh, Bob Cratchit. Yeah. There's an intense level of detail in the way, like the faces, the subtleties of facial expressions in this are mind blowing. um, When you think about how much effort had to go into like planning each individual frame to get that expression to work. And well, and I think uh, like an important thing too to note is that there's a lot of times in this movie where the animation and the performances aren't great, <laughs> where they're kind of a little like wooden and they're a little awkward and strange. And there's like a lot of that stuff. And there's some even in this scene, there's like there's some just like awkward decisions, like uh, when um, when uh, uh, Scrooge's nephew, God, I'm 
blanking on the name. Fred. Fred. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, Fred. When Fred enters, he just like walks right up into Scrooge's face, and it's this weird shot where like he just like drifts in towards the camera, kind of frighteningly. I'll, I'll say, Milo, like that, they're a little strange. <laughs> I'll say, Milo, it looks like Zelda CDI animation right there for a second. I'll <laughs> yeah, say it a little bit. Yeah, it, it's. I mean, at least in the camera and the way he trans like like swoops into Scrooge's face, it's like. Oh, okay, not so much. <laughs> Gee, it sure is boring around here. My boy, this piece is what all true warriors strive for. I just wonder what Ganon's up to. Yeah. And I have, so I have some, I have, I do have like a couple thoughts on like why that stuff happens. <laughs> I think, I think when they were storyboarding these movies way back in the day, I think they would do it on paper. Um, and then the they would probably... Um, I, I think on like higher budget productions, they would probably take those paper storyboards, um, kind of cut them up, shoot like film them, literally, and then t- give them to an editor and and actually you know put together an animatic that way. And it would be these like really loose you know pencil drawings probably, and uh not very posed out, not very like clarified. It would just be kind of like the idea of the shot and you'd kind of have to, I think there was a lot of guesswork in the way they planned things back in the day. Like not, nowadays we, you know, we do all our storyboards digitally and it's almost like we're just making the whole cartoon just like in black and white with slightly rougher drawings. Like we really pose things out. We really work out like how is a shot going to hook up to another shot, you know? Um, and we time things out usually ourselves. Sometimes we have editors timing things out a little bit after us. Um, but we really, Nowadays, like you really do have the cartoon like almost set in stone before it goes to be animated, um, especially especially for you know shorts or TV cartoons. Um, yeah. And I think I think with stuff like this, it was just a huge process to even like test and see if it was working because you have to you have to shoot it and then you have to go and get the film developed and take a, and look at it so that you might not be able to even look at it for a few days or for a week or something. Um, so which, everything about making animation during this time was very difficult and very which technical. Which makes the rest of this movie even more mind-blowing because while, like you're right that like the performances can be a little bit strange, but because of like how this is stylized, I, there, there's an almost forgivable element to that. And totally. the level of detail in every minute little piece of their performances, like the movement of hands and fingers and like expressions throughout it's wild. Definitely worth a watch. There's like 12 different versions of it that people have posted on YouTube. So feel free. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So we no, get it's, the, uh, amazing. Go ahead. we get Sorry. the, the charity collectors come in. Um, these guys are pretty, pretty big boned, I think for uh, people collecting money for the poor. And yet very like... weak backbone. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. The, these yeah. are not my charity collectors. I'm going to get that one out right now. These are not my favorite charity collectors I've seen in, a, in an adaptation. And I feel like this this scene also positions this particular Scrooge as the the meanest Scrooge that we've had and different than like Albert Finney, who was like crotchety and like almost agoraphobic. This Scrooge takes a lot of pleasure in delivering that surplus population line. 
right? Yeah. And he's he he's even like anticipating what they're gonna say because he's like, oh, I've got right. one for you right here. Well, Alistair Sim has done this story already, so he's like, yeah. look, I know what you've come here to do. I've, it's like when you beat Majora's Mask again, and like they say, like, oh, I get it. He wasn't really that evil. Like that's the whole thing. Like we're living this again here with Alistair Sim. So he's like, you're gonna say that I should give money, but I'm not. So get the hell out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And they just back down. Like as soon as he says that, they're like, oh, peace. Okay. Um, and we get the clock again, which is like a, a repeating motif. It sort of flashes back to the clock. Anytime there's like a transition in the story. Um, this is another like, so this is the first of a couple of visual name checks of the Alistair Sim version where Bob is helping him put on his coat and hat, which is something that happened in the Alistair Sim version as well. And they have that whole exchange about like, oh, taking Christmas day off. Nothing stands out out to me a ton about that it's it's pretty basic uh there's one little thing it's um right before scrooge uh gives bob the day off um and it looks like all hope is lost bob puts out the light on the candle and Mm. i just it it reminds me of something we'll see a little bit later on of like bob maybe killing his hope of having tomorrow off even though he's maybe gotten it before in the past scrooge is getting worse and yet I also thought that maybe this is the time when Scrooge thinks he is being like Fezziwig a little bit. Could be, yeah. Because like, oh, I guess I'll give you the day off. And I such a good boss. Yeah. (laughs) This opens up to one of my favorite parts of this, which is Scrooge's walk home. Um, Yes. It's very cool looking, just visually. Um, You get sort of a shot that's like, I don't even know how you'd describe this, like a almost like a like a wood print or something of a city street that looks like it was pulled directly out of like a pamphlet from the 1800s. Yeah, it's definitely I think all the backgrounds are kind of supposed to look like old, you know, 19th century engravings. Um, Yeah. 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 Beautiful looking. Yeah. (laughs) There's there's also this blind blind man with a dog, which is a little little funny. I was going to (laughs) say, the guy's got a load in his pants, right? Like, we're uh, like, the guy is walking (laughs) and he's got his butt all the way out here. Mm -hmm. And of course, he's blind. All right. So maybe cut that. Mm -hmm. But uh, that's. It's such a weird detail for them to include because that's like a throwaway line in the book just to establish that like Scrooge is so bad that even blind men's dogs pull them away from Scrooge. And Uh, it's like, (laughs) I feel like there are so many other details that you could go with or you've like kind of already killed the cat with Scrooge. Like you've already established that he's a bad person by this point. Yeah, So it's strange that they include this detail in a movie that is so scant on those kinds of details. Like they're really just doing the greatest hits of this story. And and it's not the only time that like little things are thrown in here while bigger concepts are dropped and not dropped. This is pretty faithful to the novella. It's not so much that things aren't are changed. We just don't see things as much as what's happening here. Yeah. Um, the scene in particular where he's walking up to his door, I thought was especially cool because they it's there's almost no detail. It's practically just Scrooge walking on a blank, almost brown background with just a hazy lamp walking up to his door. And it so effectively sets this mood in the two seconds that you have to like kind of pregame Marley's ghost showing up like in the, the there's a lantern in the background watching scrooge and if you know the story at all in my mind is like is that marley's face already showing up and just uh, providing that 
little hint for people who know, like you said, John, just establishing that atmosphere. It's pretty good. Would this have just been on a, a large piece of like maybe like brownish paper, Milo, or how would how would what are you thinking here? With this um, shot? I don't. I I am not sure exactly how they do the backgrounds of this. I mean, they because they look like engravings. I almost want to say they're they're probably yeah ink on toned paper. Probably they might have like um taken a piece of paper and this is just a guess, but they probably would have taken like a piece of paper and or 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 canvas or or whatever they they used for backgrounds and like painted over it in a certain kind of tone and then just did some some extra like ink details over it and paint um not 100 percent sure but yeah really I, I love that shot too where it's just like no background whatsoever it almost looks like um i was just listening to a podcast about the the great smog <laughs> you know in oh England. yeah and, and i, was I like, do I was, think that that's what it's implying because this is london yeah. like yeah during the industrial revolution i think that you definitely would have had that kind of heavy fog everywhere mm-hmm. that's and it looks that's like it's point. like I, I love this i love stuff that like implies a very real phenomenon in a very sort of um stylistic way like you yeah. you can kind of see this and just get immediately oh yeah he's walking through fog or like heavy weather or something yeah and you see it and you just feel the atmosphere and i think that's really amazing and 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 what's kind of cool is it's not pitch black completely right so like for nighttime that tent or the blues or something like that so it kind of keeps that ambient light alive of the city as well like there oh yeah it's like the it's like the fog is being lit like it's glowing with all the street lamps and stuff kind of that's kind of what it feels like it's really good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, Marley's face shows up in the knocker. It's a, it's an animated transition from like the knocker to his face and the knocker. I think it's cool that it's designed in such a way to make that transition really seamless. Is this the, the just like the time... switch to and from? Is this the second time we've seen a lion as the door knocker? It's usually a lion. That's what it is in the book. Okay. Okay. I'm forgetting that detail. Yeah. So, all right. Yeah. That's, and then that's good. It's again, it's not taking, it's not adding stuff that isn't there from the novella. It's just not showing certain aspects. No, of this is almost like religiously faithful to mm-hmm. like the way things are described. Um, so Scrooge goes inside and we get my second favorite shot in this, which is when he's walking up the stairs and it is pitch black and all you can yeah. see by the light of his candle is like his face and a little bit of light cast on the wall in white. Mm-hmm. And the, the stark contrast is such an arresting visual. And and I feel like this could look so terrible if you didn't manage to get the way the shadows work on his face exactly right. Oh, totally. And the way his head moves, I think, is so realistic, too. Like, it has mm-hmm. such, like, a realistic... Game. And what's kind of wild, um, like, I was reading about this, like, Richard Williams claims they really didn't use live-action reference when they were making this. <laughs> I think right. they did, like, a... I think they did a little bit, and maybe they did for that shot, because that looks very realistic, but apparently they just kind of winged it and did a lot of this out of their heads. Which is really stunning. That is that is yeah. either like one of the most incredible things I've ever heard, or an enormous lie. Because right, because <laughs> Milo, before you came on, me and John were just doing a little pre-talk, and we were talking about like rotoscoping and some stuff we thought I seen. So that's where my mind went for this for like a lot of the shots in this movie. But if it's not that at all, no. And you can kind of there's there's some shots like I think this shot that John you were just talking about where he's walking in the dark. 
and his head's moving around, that might be rotoscoped. Like that, that to me, that movement is just so realistic. But a lot of the other stuff in this movie, like they are realistic drawings, but the way they move is not realistic. Right. And there's I, and one, I think there's one like or really two places where I feel like it's, I, I think they have to be animating over an actual person there, but because the characters are so caricatured, like the way that they're proportioned, I feel like it would be really difficult to do that. Just wait till we get to tiny Tim. Yeah. (laughs) Well, the thing is, so, so the thing with rotoscoping is if you look at like, if you watch like sleeping beauty, for example, a lot of the characters in that are rotoscoped and even characters like the fairies who you would not think are rotoscoped. And the way they did it was by rotoscoping, and then recreating what all the information they rotoscoped with the character design, if that makes sense. So there, there could be stuff like yeah. that. Like so, so it's I, I definitely don't think rotoscoping is limited to, you know, tracing the body exactly. Like a lot of times, it, it's used almost as like as like a study material or information yeah. to kind of like create. Not like Ralph Bakshi, where it's like he filmed someone and then put a Photoshop filter over it, kind of. Totally. You... Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. You beat that's, me that's... to the punch with that because I want to say <laughs> you want to see some clear, obvious rotoscoping. Mm-hmm. Watch the one ring sequences from uh, that film, man. That yeah, is yeah. all. Yeah. Rotoscoping. I'm gonna. I will also go to bat for Ralph Bakshi a little bit, where like I, it's a mix in those movies too, where there's I, oh yeah, no, no, but there's I also love some Ralph really, Bakshi. yeah, there's also some real animation in there, or like there's there's some stuff where they really pushed it, and like I, he's a he's a weird, crusty old guy who made weird, weird, weird movies, and I kind of love him. So we do see the hearse moving up the stairs, which is like a, a fun shot. Scrooge reacts to it pretty strongly. Then we get a commercial break, I think. That's when it fades out. And that's when it would feel like a natural commercial break would have happened. Yeah, probably when it when it originally aired. Because it fades out and, and fades back in. And Scrooge is in his room dressed as a Smurf, um, eating his see, gruel in front of the fire. <laughs> see, John, you went with Smurf. I went with Grand Wizard Ebenezer Scrooge. Because he's, <laughs> he's looking pretty clanny right there. I just thought that is... I get that he wears this in most of the outfits, but that is a pointy hat, right? There. Yeah, <laughs> that is, yeah. That is... His nightcap is kind of sticking straight up in the air, and he's got his like long white nightgown on. Um, it, it, look, it looks pretty clanny. I'm just saying. It's <laughs> it's, a, it's, it's 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 clan adjacent. Um, so the bells start ringing, and then we hear like the groaning and clanking coming up the stairs, and the world's scariest Jacob Marley comes through the door. This is my type of Jacob Marley. This everything this Jacob Marley does is what I'm here for. Okay, the intro, the exit, the scream. Oh my! Mm, yeah. I love it. I yeah, love it. I mean, I mean, so. We've had moments, right? I feel like the original, um, the 1951 that we watched, that Jacob Marley was very melodramatic, right? Hand on the back of the, like, back of the hand on the forehead, oh, woe is me, like, that kind of stuff. Um, obviously, Alec Guinness in in Scrooge was, like, kind of played for laughs. So was Michael Douglas in Ghost of Girlfriend's Past. But this is the first, like, legitimately scary Marley that we've seen. Yeah. Um, scary, otherworldly taking none of Scrooge's crap, but yeah. also being completely like sympathetic and like longing to help Scrooge, but going to put the fear of God into him to make it. So, yeah. Yeah. And- so to give like some context for this, he gravity is not working on him. Like his coattails and hair and everything is floating straight up as if like he's upside down or something. Um, 
he, his mouth is bandaged when he first comes in and his eyes are just kind of like unblinkingly staring up and out and away from any from Scrooge or anything. Um, and when Scrooge is initially kind of like disbelieving in him, he he unwraps his mouth and his jaw drops open like an actual corpse and stays that way for the rest of the scene. It never it moves as he's speaking. The voice is just drifting out of like space as he stares slack jawed. It's yeah. With a very unnaturally distended, long slack jaw, too. Like a really kind of like one of those like, well, you couldn't really do this outside of animation looking faces. Right. Um, I gotta say, though, if you're not doing this or attempting something like this, it's not. This is what I'm here for with my Jacob Marley scenes. Like, I really want that jaw dropping moment. And it's it just sells it for me. And. Well, because it's a moment, it's a moment that is always really, it's given a lot of meaning in the text that like that moment really frightens Scrooge because it's so unnatural and no human performer can really do it because you still have to like act. Be a human being a little bit. Yeah. (laughs) I'll give Scrooge, uh, the animated Albert Finney, I'm sorry, the animated, the, the musical Albert Finney one, some credit there. They try their damnedest with the scream and when uh, he goes flying up into the air in that one moment. But yeah, listen yeah. to that episode for that. <laughs> yeah, but so much of that, that is played for comedy that I think you lose. Like Jacob Marley's kind of a funny character in that. Like he's dry and witty. Um, you know, I was just I was just looking. Like I even love that this version of him, like when he leans forward to point at at Scrooge, like uh, he like leans from his waist. He doesn't like lean back with his his butt or anything like that. He doesn't like adjust his center of balance at all. He just kind of leans forward and is there in a in a pose that would make him fall over on his face if he were not a ghost right stuff like that is really neat yeah Uh, and he's also get like hanging there (laughs) yeah yeah we also get the chains going out the door which i really love that i like there's a a scale to the chains and and his crimes that are um we don't really see the end of it like we don't know where his chain ends um which is a nice detail knowing what that represents in the text. So he basically gives Scrooge like the usual rundown. You know, this is three ghosts are going to visit you. This is your last chance. Uh, he's so creepy that it's almost distracting. And then he clicks his jaw shut and almost gets yanked out the window. And and we get like the, the phantoms in the night, which is the second place where we get a visual name check of the 1951 version. Right. Because right. it's a very similar shot of the widow on the street with her baby, a, a very um, uh, I don't even know what you would call like the style, the way that this woman is animated, but it's a lot of contrast. She's like a lot of blacks and whites, like her face and hands are white. Um, she's all dressed in black, um, kind of that German expressionist thing, almost oh, totally, that we were talking about totally. with the it's 1951 very, very version. gothic looking. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Almost Picasso-like, actually. Reminds me of, uh, God, what's that one of uh, the... Oh, the guitar the guitar player? Yeah. Well, Where his too. neck is, like, twisted over on the side? That yeah. one, too, yeah. So Scrooge slams the window shut, having seen this, and runs back to bed and jumps in. And uh, we get another, looks like a commercial break, probably. And then the Ghost of Christmas Present shows up. Jimmy, go ahead. How many episodes are we into this show? Uh, this will be our, our fourth adaptation, fourth adaptation, eight episodes, something like that. This is episode 10, episode 10. This is the best ghost of Christmas past I have seen so far. 
This is wonderful. I look at this thing. So to describe it, we have, it's so weird. And that's what makes it great. You have a childlike woman character that is kind of old, but kind of young at the same time with hair coming down and then hair going back up kind of to represent the the light and then holding in one hand, it looks like an olive branch. And then, but at all the time, the face, it's like you're looking at it cross-eyed almost. Like you, you're not quite seeing this person directly. And so where there should be two eyes, there are three and it's always not quite right. And I'm describing it poorly because it's so weird. <laughs> Well, it's almost it's... like three, it's like three little girls that are kind of standing in the same exact space, overlapping each other mm -hmm. slightly, and occasionally yeah. they're perfectly covering the same space, and occasionally they drift apart, and you get that kind of double vision thing. I... Um, and they're, and if you notice, their faces kind of shift from looking young to looking old and mm -hmm. back. They yeah. grow wrinkles and lose them gradually. Yeah, there are also places where where the hands will look more masculine and then more feminine. Um, there are a couple places where it has like multiple hands on the same arm or like multiple legs throughout the sequence. So this is for people sort who listen to our first like a flame almost actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's well, it is. It's like it's flickering a little bit like a flame, and and this is the closest I've ever seen anyone come to capturing what Charles Dickens wrote about this character, which is that it is all these things at once, and that Scrooge could never visually lock it down because it was constantly shifting its form from one thing to another, but you could never quite figure out when one thing changed to the other thing and then back again. And this is so faithful to that idea. It's really masterfully done. There's this great shot here where it's an extreme close-up of the ghost's face and the eyes on the left and right form. So there is a, a, a th three-fourths of a head on the left, three-fourths of the head on the right, and then in the middle is a face. And the eyes are closed on the left and the right head, but the middle ones are wide open. And the head frame is kind of warped into a flame looking like i think Milo was saying that a second ago it like it all looks like a flame up there and it also has but it almost looks alien like it almost looks like some sort of like when you would draw an alien there'd be like this like antenna or something on top of their head so it's it it's such a unique visual that i think for some people it would probably be off-putting but that's kind of the point yeah yeah it's it's very like transitory like memory because that's what it represents um oh and you notice i actually just only just noticed this like at the beginning when when he slash she first appears it's almost like she's wearing like she kind of like her feet all morphed together into almost like a candle stick at the bottom for a second and then turn back into legs and the whole shape of her in that very first shot is like pulsing into different forms it's really oh it's very cool and yeah. I also got the sense of like a tree in a weird way. Like I got this because like, maybe it was more of like candlestick, but like it looked it was they were all the legs were definitely messing around down there. It was kind of cool. Just like thinking like someone had to like conceptualize this and, and animate it and get that animation to make sense and work under the mm -hmm. constraints that we talked about earlier. Uh, it's just wild. So we get um you know, blasted to the past. And anytime the spirits move Scrooge in this, it's always this like very like swooping, soaring motion. There's no music generally. There's not even, 
sound effects a lot of the time. They just kind of like zip through from one place to the other. Yeah, well, very quickly. It's like you swoop over an entire city and then flash into the past. And it happens yeah. over the course of like a second. Yeah, there's a really like crispy, crunchy silence to this movie that I really appreciate. It it it's really intimate in that way because it's we're really just getting like Scrooge's experience. And for a movie that's so short, I think it's really like emotionally engaging because of that. So we get uh, Scrooge's childhood at the school, like a really quick version of it. We basic all we basically see is like the kids playing um, outside, and we see Scrooge as a young man kind of reading his books. Um, I feel like some of the animation here was done at like a slower frame rate or a different frame rate than the rest of the movie Hmm. to kind of evoke that, like that past, not the stuff when we meet young Scrooge, but like when the kids are playing in the swans, there was this like, yeah, it's almost like they're cross fading between drawings. I think. Um, Yeah. It would be like you. Yeah. 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 They they definitely are actually there. They did less drawings and then they, literally like would fade between each drawing and that kind of gets that like that kind of dreamlike um so then we come into the schoolhouse after that and i get we get one of our my favorite shots in the movie it's the one time i've seen this done so far we look inside scrooge's head and we see all the stories he's reading about um all of these like we see knights we see uh alibaba i think is in there which is what Mm -hmm. he's reading in the novella we see a parrot and it's like this is probably, this looks, if I had a guarantee or put money on Rose, this looks rotoscope to me, but I could be wrong here. Milo, what do you think about that? Um, might have been. It's it's kind of hard to see that stuff. I, I Yeah, I, I feel like um there's like a few things in the sequence, because there's also the geese at the beginning of the sequence in the lake that are very realistic. And like they the, the kids nice. dancing and then and then this stuff, like if anything's rotoscoped in in this movie, it's probably those things um but i can't be can't be sure (laughs) so we we don't get fan in this version at all we we breeze right over it so we just see that scrooge was young and he had to stay at school and and that makes old scrooge sad and then we zip right past it they do this like really cool aging up effect where like it transitions really quickly from young scrooge sitting on a bench reading to like young man Scrooge sitting at his desk at Fezziwig's working by showing him like almost like a time lapse of these like quick flashes of him growing up. Um, Really enjoyed that. And then we get, you know, your basic Fezziwig sequence. Yeah, it's pretty standard. But what I liked about that transition there where he was aging up is that it went from like his, it's a, it's very simple of going from childhood to adult, but He's no longer reading fantasy. He's no longer engaging in that type of stuff. He he let go of those little... He doesn't have much in his life that he can call back to and have fun with. And losing the, the childhood wonder and the appreciation for those stories, that's a significant loss. And there's actually a very quick but great shot of Scrooge just kind of... He's got the hand on the head type of deal, but he's like, I can't take seeing myself become me. And he's seeing that little kid become Scrooge and it's quick, but he's going from book to book. And at one moment, you can really catch it there. It does go from children's books to a ledger. And that's. Oh, that's cool. That, yeah. That's, that's that's game. And then we're into Fezziwig. And Miley, you were saying this is a pretty traditional interpretation of Fezziwig from the original. This yeah, the, this appearance wise, like this scene is is taken almost directly from like an illustration from the book. 
So that's like exactly what Fezziwork looks yeah. like. I think I know which book. one you're talking about, actually, yep. now that I'm thinking mm-hmm. about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, down to the color palette, too, because it's kind of got that like soft, almost like pastel-y um, yeah. color palette. Uh, which yeah. is what they kind of colored these old illustrations like. Um, and then we get the breakup scene, which is visually stunning. I mean, this is like another. So um, we don't get a ton of Belle in this, but she's there. Um, she's dressed like her dad died. Like she's all in black. We barely get a look at her face because she's got this kind of like black bonnet. And and they are sitting next to like a lake in the world's prettiest watercolor um doing this breakup sequence but it's very somber even like the way the voices the voice acting is done there's this like texture to it that's really sad and like final i don't know it it was really really striking when i watched it earlier and i can't put my finger on what it is about it that i find so so engaging it, well, it's really beautiful and it's also i think there's something really interesting about the fact did you notice that like even though it is watercolor backgrounds they are shifting and moving slightly like there is this like yeah there's this, this very faint life to everything. But um, they're dead. Their relationship is dead and they are still mm-hmm. and they and and you brought up they're wearing all black. They look like they're coming from a funeral and she's yeah. she's mourning the death of their relationship. Though in my yeah. head canon, my head canon they're, here. They're sitting could, in a weeping willow tree. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> but but in my head canon here. Sometimes they make Belle the daughter of Fezziwig. We've seen that in one version in the past. What if Fezziwig just died? <laughs> and like, this is the moment when it happens, like after that. Or it could just be a relative of hers died. Her father, her mother, somebody else. She could be in mourning. And when, like, she's like putting up like, okay, I'm not going to go the rest of my life because I've only got so much. I'm going to freaking dump Scrooge. Yeah, Scrooge, who now looks like a young version of his of his old self and has become a real jerk. So and that kind of brings us to the end of this. So Scrooge asks, like, he's like, I don't I don't want to see this anymore. And the spirit gives him that, you know, don't blame me, man. You made these memories. I'm just showing you what you what you remember. And we get the extinguisher cap sequence where he extinguishes the spirit. And it's cool because it kind of like the extinguisher starts off really big. He slams it down on the thing's head. And then as as he kind of pushes it down towards the floor, it gets smaller and smaller until it just disappears. And he's back in his room um, and it's quick, but it's really effective. It looks really cool. I love it. I, I It's a great transition into a commercial break, which is, I think, what happens here. Yeah. And it's also it's great because in that moment he's putting away his pain. He doesn't want to deal with his pain. He doesn't want to deal with his loss. And when you don't deal with your stuff, obviously you're just left alone in a cold dark room by yourself. Yeah. Yeah, Beautiful. sliding into a commercial break, which is convenient <laughs> for us because at this point in the show we do need to take a quick break to pay our clerk and uh, promote some other great podcasts. Hopefully, if somebody gives me a promo to put up, so uh, we're gonna do that here. And then when we come back, we will talk about the Ghost of Christmas Present. If I stopped your half a crown for it, you'd think yourself ill-used, wouldn't you? Hmm? But you don't think me ill-used if I pay a day's wages for no work, do you? Cheers, hmm? only once a year, sir. It's a poor excuse for picking a man's pocket every 25th of December. Hi, everybody. 
If you're anything like me, you've been listening to podcasts pretty much as long as podcasts have been a thing. And you've always dreamed that one day you would find a topic you were really passionate about and you would make that dream podcast yourself. Unfortunately, in today's day and age when everybody and their mom and their mom's dog has a podcast and there are so many different podcast hosting platforms to choose from, it can be a little bit difficult to find something that fits both your needs and your budget. And that is where Anchor comes in. If you are someone just breaking into the podcast scene and you're looking for a place to uh, get started hosting your podcast, Anchor is a great choice. For starters, it's totally free. There's no charge to host the files that you need for your podcast. It also has creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. So if you're someone who hasn't broken into using GarageBand or Audacity or a more professional program to record your podcast... Anchor has all of the tools you need to record right from your phone or computer. Anchor also provides seamless distribution to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and many other podcast platforms, so it's really easy for you to reach a broad audience. If you're looking to monetize your podcast, you can do so with no minimum listenership through Anchor. Just record an ad and put a sponsorship segment in your show, and you're good to go. It's everything that you need to make a podcast right in one place. If you want to get started recording that podcast you've always dreamed about today, download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Hello, my name is Brucker, and this is Autopsy of a Horror Movie, a fun podcast where I like to dig into the types of fears that movies play off of, the blending of genres that many horror films do, and what makes a kill stick to you even after the movie. I also love to get into special topics and dissect out specific scenes and aspects of a movie or franchise and examine what makes it work, what is it commenting on, and why is it so memorable. For instance, I have a special topic episode in which I look over and study the opening sequence to every screen movie. I'm also lucky enough to have Shutter press credentials, which means I have the opportunity to have really fun and awesome interviews with the great filmmakers over at Shutter. So if you are interested in any of this, you can find Autopsy of a Horror Movie anywhere you find podcasts, including YouTube. And be sure to follow me on Instagram, at Brucker Horror, so that way you can continue the dialogue with me even after you listen to the episodes. Thanks, everyone, and enjoy the show. Welcome back, everybody. Thanks for sticking with us. Um, so Scrooge is is back in his bed, having just extinguished the uh, weirdly ephemeral ghost of Christmas past. And uh, we immediately get a light and the clock chimes and the booming voice calls him into the other room to meet the ghost of Christmas present. Pretty standard, I would say. This ghost of Christmas present, nice and accurate. It's definitely a giant. Um he looks he a little does. bit like Magnum PI with that chest hair. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> I was gonna say his chest hair looks like a like a tube top. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and there's a pan down shot to the hold the robe line, and it's just like I don't need to stare at his chest. And you're like, stop, stop panning down. <laughs> stop. No. He's got, Back he's up. got the sword right there too, which is like, oh. Oh yeah. Moving along. <laughs> um, 
I feel like they do a really good job of establishing his scale relative to Scrooge. Like all the shots of Scrooge are, are, you know, top downs and there's a really neat sequence where he kind of like leans forward at Scrooge. And I feel like their foreshortening there is really good. Mm -hmm. Um, I like not a ton to say about it. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's very cool looking. I really like this shot. I mean, I love, there's so many shots of this movie that are like, um, here are some really hyper detailed hands check out these knuckles (laughs) and uh, it's one of my favorite things in the world in animation when it when you get that because it's not often um but like uh he had there's this great shot in here where he like slowly lifts his arm to have his to have scrooge grab his sleeve and it's kind of just beautiful (laughs) yeah (laughs) just let you know peek behind the curtain friends i'm we're watching i'm watching some clips of it as we review it for reference i'm paused right on that shot i can count the wrinkles in on his (laughs) hand and in the robe the folds in the robe it's great uh but before we go into the next part of this where after scrooge grabs the robe i just want to mention scrooge has this really great look on his face when he's looking up at father at uh, the ghost of Christmas present where he's like, this is what I talk about where I need to see Scrooge's want to change. Right. And yeah, this, this is like, okay, I have seen my past. I'm not happy with it. And I know I am Scrooge. So I, I know you're here to do the work. Let's do it. But am I? Yeah. It's, it's it's also nice to see him not be so stupid as to give lip to a actual giant. Right. <laughs> like, right. It just seems like it seems like he has the right amount of like deference and respect to this very large, very jolly, slightly terrifying man. Look, uh, if Andre the Giant the is talking top. to you, if Andre the Giant is talking to you, you're going to listen. Now, you might not understand a damn thing he says, but you're going to listen to Andre the Giant, okay? <laughs> it's interesting. We've seen this played three different ways now, too, because when Alistair Sim did this in 1951, his conversation with the spirit is like, um, I, you can show me what I need to do, but like, I can't be redeemed. It's too late for me. There's almost this moment where he feels hopeless here. Um, Obviously with Albert Finney, Albert Finney kind of almost does like a hard reset between each spirit where each spirit has to reconvince him that he needs to change. Um, I'm not going to launch Jimmy back into that conversation. I have said enough about the Albert Finney one. I will stop complaining about that whole scene. Oh, God. Well, so, so full disclosure, I have been watching along with these as you to with you guys with the podcast. Oh, that's um, right. And yeah, the, the, the whole attitude in that movie just seems to be like he's holding out until the last possible minute to change anything. He has to literally be sent to hell to be convinced. That. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's kind of crazy and it and it really doesn't have like there's almost like not a not a much of a, an emotional arc or a character arc for him in that movie and that was like the thing watching it that I was like scratching my head about. Yeah. In addition to just his performance being strange yeah it's a weird he makes some weird choices very strange very kind of milo (laughs) (laughs) don't get me started he's he's a a very um he's he's a very ancient and withered scrooge that's all yeah i'll leave it at that (laughs) i feel like he i feel like he he's playing it like scrooge had a stroke in it in his like yeah or something it's yeah that's what it feels like it's like that or he's like kind of going into dementia a little bit like he has this very strange almost like 
I feel like someone should be offended by his performance. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know like who exactly. I don't know who the who whose turf that is to be offended by it. But I do feel like there's something like offensive about it. Like there's something a little grotesquely caricatured about it. That that was yeah. kind of my big takeaway from that movie. <laughs> He's drunk. Anyway. <laughs> He's drunk the whole damn time. I, I, I mean, I see that too. <laughs> but um, you know who should be offended, Milo? Old people. Old people should be offended yeah, I by think his old performance. Should, I think old people should be offended by this 30-year-old pretending to be an old person. <laughs> well, also, what a strange decision to, like... This guy appears as as like a withered old man through ninety percent of this movie, and they cast him as a young man just so he could appear in like the two scenes where he's young. As this is also like this what was like kind of <laughs> this was like the height of Albert Finney as like a music musical theater guy. Oh, I like see. he's he he's gonna be Daddy Warbucks two seconds after he does this movie. So like. Gotcha. He's he's, he's a guy you go to when you need like a powerhouse who can play an old man, but also like sing and dance and and all that other stuff. Um, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. Well, all all that to say, I do think like the the sort of deference that this version of Scrooge has in the 1971 version, in contrast to that, is really yeah. One year I, later, I like it. I feel like that's what I. I feel like this is what I want. <laughs> I, I agree. This I'm on. I'm, I'm with Jimmy on this. Yeah. <laughs> Alistair Sim said, "Wait, that's Scrooge. Hold my beer and get me an animator. I'm coming out of retirement." Yeah. <laughs> well, he's also he's very. Re- this version of him is very resigned too. Like I think there's this thing where it's like he kind of does not want to do it. He's not thrilled about how his. Christmas Eve is going. Yeah. But he's also like, I have to. This guy could squish me. This is probably good for me. I'm feeling emotions because of seeing my past and I'm not sure what to do with them yet. This the Scrooge also needs to have a slightly accelerated arc because this is a 25 minute. Like it's yeah. it's so quick that he's gotta go from crotchety old Scrooge to warm, generous Scrooge. Um but so we you we can... get Sorry, just one last thing. If you keep, though, the frame of this story as short as it is, it's still such a solid framework for a story that you can do it in 25 minutes and it works. Yeah. So I think that's the testament to how strong the the novella is, that it's like, oh, you only got 25 minutes to do it? You're good if you do it right. Yeah. Yeah, we'll get it. We'll get it done. So we get I feel like this is the first like really true version of this ghost of Christmas present sequence that we've had where like he is in the streets among the people blessing their Christmas feasts and all that stuff. A real a couple really nice shots of like and quick like they're not wasting even half a second of time in this where he you, Scrooge gets that glimpse of like what Christmas looks like for the common man. And then we end up. Uh, at the Cratchit house with like the world's tiniest tiny Tim. Oh boy. Yeah. Yeah. Before we get to to itty bitty tiny Timmy, uh, we uh, have, uh, I just want to highlight this because I think it's a really nice bit of animation here. This smoke trail that is following the torch. Yeah. It's like distortion. Yeah. It's like literally like, like the hot air distortion. It's so of, subtle. Of like the background. Ah, mm-hmm. oh, so good. It's really Sorry. gorgeous, and I'm not 100 percent sure how they did it, but it looks really awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, also, then we have Bob Cratchit and uh, Tiny Tim 
in a hurry to get home. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're cruising. <laughs> Bob looks like Jack Skellington with these like super like one inch diameter legs. Um, yeah. <laughs> but then again, it's 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 in keeping with Bob Cratchit. Like you know, yeah. he's an odd he's an odd guy who is a kid at heart. And he's running down the streets with itty bitty Timmy Timmy, and it's it's yeah. amazing. <laughs> this and this movie has neither of the two problems that we've had with Tiny Tim and Bob Cratchit before. Where in Scrooge, Bob Cratchit was too pretty, and in the Alistair Sim one, Tiny Tim was ten feet tall and and like looked like a linebacker. Um, I'm exaggerating, but like only slightly. So um, we get a really cool moment here where, and which we don't get a lot when Bob talks about tiny Tim saying like, it's good for people to see me because they should remember who made like the cripples walk and the blind men see. And we get to like that glimpse of exactly how precious and wonderful tiny Tim is Scrooge reacts to it. And with like a little bit of shame as though like he, like this child is obviously a better person than I am. And I think that where a, a lot of even the best versions of a Christmas Carol fall really short for me is we never get the explicit moment that Scrooge sees tiny Tim and realizes like how much better of a being tiny Tim is than himself. And a lot of times it feels like, Oh, Scrooge cares about tiny Tim for reasons. Like we're just sort of supposed to like infer the, that he has developed care for this child. And in this, quick moment where we don't get a ton of stuff in the scene, but we do get that explicit moment where he's like, wow, this child is wonderful, but also looks very frail and I'm worried about him. We also see he's like, he's like so tiny and he has like the leg braces and everything, which I think is some a detail from the, the novella. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I feel like you don't often see that. I think it's always like he has the crutch. Yeah. And he's, you know, he's a kid. He's maybe yeah. he's sick. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, some do it well, some some he's don't. He's got plot much. device. He's got plot device. It's a horrible <laughs> yeah. disease. Um, yeah, yeah. He, he's got the croup or something. I don't know. Yeah, I believe that this tiny Tim could die. I believe that this tiny Tim could die very, he, very much. He's t- yeah. And but but what's funny here is not just that they are doing tiny Tim is actually like you know somebody that we see like oh this is a sickly little kid. It's also that. He's a kid. He's glee. He's joking. He's playing. He's silly. And again, we don't get much with him. But in those moments, you fall in love with him right away. Like those Disney eyes are. Yeah. That, right. Yeah. Like those, those are some big old eyes right there. This and is actually he's... I think this whole this whole bit is kind of my favorite bit of just this whole scene is like all my favorite acting in the entire movie is in this scene. I think, I think this is all the nicest, most subtle character performance. Like I feel like when, when Bob Cratchit is talking about um, tiny Tim, you know, wanting people to see him in the church, like you can kind of feel him saying that like his emotion in that. And, mm-hmm. and while he's saying that there's this great shot that I love that I just keep watching over and over where like tiny Tim is like hobbling away. And I, and I guess it's one of his sisters is like walking with him. And it's like, you kind of get how frail he is just from that, that like he needs to sort of be taken care of like in every step of his life, you know? And I wow. think that's, I think that's really, 
that's such a good detail you yeah you really kind of get it from that shot right (laughs) well and i think that's the that's the magic of this version right this is the first version that we've watched that i think we're really like gushing about this way because in 25 minutes they are able to really effectively communicate everything you need about the story plot wise but also a lot of the emotion and you and you almost feel like it's not gonna land and then it does and it's really impressive the way that they pull it off so, and like just like and iconic things are actually made a little bit better in this version. Now I could be wrong on this, but in the novella, does Mrs. Cratchit say "God bless us, everyone"? Oh, I I don't I don't remember. I, don't think I think so. they all like they all say it, and then Tiny Tim. It's like Bob, and then everyone, and then Tiny Tim. But that's the great point here because she says it, and children will listen, and he picks it up and drives it home, and. I love when Tiny Tim, uh, we've talked about this before. It's not about Tiny Tim being perfect. It's about him being a really good person and, uh, but being a person and people can make mistakes, have different feelings, but learning is part of that experience. And to see a kid learn something in a movie and like, no, I agree with that. And that's a good thing to say. And I'm going to say that back. I just, it's a little thing there, but I really appreciate that detail for Tim. And also the song. Now, do they sing it here? You can cut this, John. Do they sing the song here? Or is that later? I can't remember. Oh, when he sings the song about the little boy lost in the snow. That's like yeah. a throwaway line from the book that they included here. That's right here. Yeah. I love it. I that, love that's before that. Scrooge asks if he'll if he'll die. Because it's just like a little kid making up a song. But it's so good. It's Yeah, so, it's really good. It's so warm. And it's so... so- Fun fact, Tiny Tim in this is played by Richard Williams' son, Alexander, who was four when oh, this movie oh, was right. made. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's a fun detail. So, so there's, a, there's kind of a weird moment of acting here with the spirit where he, he gives Scrooge like kind of guff about Tiny Tim dying and decreasing the surplus population. Then he's like, oh, God. To see the worm in the dust or like whatever that line is where he's where he's talking about, like um, comparing Scrooge to a worm and his like eyes roll back in his head a little bit. It's a little strange, but then it turns into this really cool transition where they end up out in like the dusty countryside where the miners are, which is the start of a very, very cool sequence of events. Um, Do you guys want to talk about like these miners and what that looks like? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, this is when the music comes back just for a second, where it's like the only sound, the only music we hear is when people are singing at parties or something like that, which really gives the spirit of the season strength because yeah. that's it's like some acapella singing happening. Right. So they're singing there. Um, that's what I remember most. But Milo, uh, how do you feel about this transition, this sequence here? I love this whole sequence so much. I think it's so gorgeous. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think actually this this whole bit, because it, it kind of goes for a while, and first you see the miners, right, inside their house. They, they, they kind of, like, walk up to the window and sort of, like, fade inside, and you see this old man sitting by the fire, and the shadows are really... It kind of has, again, like what we were saying, that German expressionist kind of gothic look where everything's very dark and the the shadows are really black and like you don't really see the character's eyes they're almost like hollowed out from the shadows but they're all sort of crowded around this fire and they're all singing um this really you know i think one of 
the most beautiful Christmas songs, I think. <laughs> you know? And and like there's this just kind of like warmth to it where you can see like in the midst of like the darkness that these people are living in. You know, like there's this dark atmosphere surrounding them and here is this little kind of like light in the center of it. You know, and that's like what Christmas represents to these people. And and you get these transitions where like the 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 ghost of Christmas present flies Scrooge out into the sky and the clouds are animated and the sea is animated and you see a guy you see two men in a in a in a lighthouse also singing, also with like a crazy animated background and there's this great moment in that transition where it swoops and you get like this like warped version of Scrooge and the Ghost of Christmas uh, present when like they swoop around to the lighthouse mm-hmm. and it gets really close and then they're miles away at the lighthouse. It's you really get a sense of the speed they're moving at with that moment there. Yeah, and it's so like it has that John, what you were kind of saying earlier, that kind of quiet, like you hear the wind. You know, and you yeah. hear the seagulls crying and the the waves crashing, and then you go inside the lighthouse and there are these two men singing, and this the, the the animation throughout this entire sequence is so unbelievable. Like this is, I feel like this sequence is where most of the time and energy that went into this sh- uh, short went. Especially, look at the clouds behind them. Like the clouds are like rolling. And they look like, and they are like a bunch of, you know, it's kind of hard to tell on the video here, but I think it's just like a bunch of little marks. I think if you could, if there was an HD version of it, I think what you would see is it probably looks a whole lot like, like an old etching where it is tone created with like a lot of lines and cross hatching and stuff like that. Um, it's yeah, so, it's really, it's, it's really so bananas. Gorgeous. Like, I think your your brain almost like shuts down when you watch it because you can't conceive of like what the work to produce that must have been mm-hmm. right. and, and at the um, same time it has that same type of quick energy that his commercials have with like they're really quick transitions but really great animation in those moments yeah and I, it almost feels like a commercial for christmas <laughs> it feels yeah. like this is the christmas spirit as quickly as we can show y'all real fast <laughs> Yeah. yeah, and well, they and the, the camera swoops down. Then, like they swoop away from the lighthouse and they swoop down on a ship at sea, where there's a man at at the wheel, like or at the um whatever they call it on a ship, the wheel, yeah, the, t- the tiller or whatever, the, the tiller, yeah. yeah, um, kind of guiding the ship in the storm and singing. Um, everyone is singing "God Rest You Merry Gentlemen." Yeah. Um, and like I can't, I can't emphasize enough how hard it is to draw boats <laughs> how complex boats are like how much you need to kind of know to draw like a realistic boat which uh, this is a very realistically drawn boat and because uh, it's a sailing ship it has sails it has you know rigging it has all the lines running to different things um and it is drawn you have to draw like this is probably over a hundred drawings of this boat from different angles to do a full three-dimensional camera move and you can tell it's not traced because it's not perfect like the movement's not perfect it kind of like they definitely didn't like build a ship and rotoscope it like they just drew it they did it (laughs) (laughs) they did it they figured out the perspective on everything and they just did drawing after they probably figured out like the main shots they wanted to hit and then went in between and drew all the drawings in between those to, to kind of close the gaps 
That's so, um, that's so much work. It's so it's nuts. A, an immense amount of work. And then you have this guy at the tiller, like very realistically animated. Possibly, if, again, like if there's anything rotoscoped in this movie, it might be this guy. Yeah, this is one of the moments that stood out to me. Like that, that has yeah. to be. There's no way. It, you know, it's hard to say because there's some really talented animators who can do some really amazing things. So, like, I don't want to say 100% that it's, but it's very realistic. Like, if, if anything is a rotoscope in this movie, it's that shot. I gotta say, but only that I... part of the shot, only that part of the shot, because everything else had to be just done. Like, there's no way they could have done it otherwise, yeah. other than just doing it, you know? <laughs> I would say, with the it's just speaking from a novice, the animation for those. 20 seconds 30 seconds at most like is yeah if is that maybe the highlight of this or one of the highlights of this this reminds oh. me a lot of that he-man commercial yeah of, of, like the climbing and just like the motion of like the clouds and the way everything is in motion and every alive every and, element and is animated right nothing is like a, just a background painting for yeah. the sequence and everything it's all is a piece of animation and they're doing so much and it's so quick that you don't notice it so like when they are in the lighthouse, right, and they're watching the two lighthouse workers, when they leave, they go from being solid to transparent instantly. And it's just like, it's a nice, subtle little thing, but you if you're not looking for it, you don't see it, but it's there and it's clear as day. Mm -hmm. And we're watching this, friends. Like Milo mentioned this a moment ago. We're watching this on YouTube on 480, and so it's not the best quality. No, it's could... not great at all. I think you can get this. I think you can find DVDs of this somewhere. There are definitely VHSs floating around and like bootlegs. But uh... this is a really hard thing to still get like a decent copy of, I think. Yeah. Who owns the... um, I got to find out who owns the rights to this because they've got to re-release this or sell, or sell it to some I, streaming thing. I, I'd imagine Rick, Richard Williams' his estate probably owns it because it was his studio. Fair point. Or, or no, oh no, but well, you know what? If he was working with Chuck Jones, maybe, maybe Chuck Jones has Chuck Jones's estate has it. I don't know. Does that Unless make you worried or does it make stuff. me hopeful? I don't know. <laughs> Who knows? Who knows? It's just sad. There's like a lot of this kind of animation that is like a little lost now because you can really only find it from like VHS rips or weird stuff like floating around on YouTube, which is kind of sad. There's like a lot of stuff like this where it's just like not commercial enough Scrooge. for anyone to re release in a meaningful way. Yeah. Scrooge, last one we did was like that. Like I, I, you, there's no way to buy it. There's you, there's crappy H standard definition copies or nothing. And someone's got to fix this. <laughs> well, anyway, um, yeah. Oh, well, I had, we, I had one we... more. Uh, I had one more thought about the sequence, which is just that. Like I, I think like this, this kind of stuff, the supernatural, the swooping around, the really amazing, like ghostly stuff, is kind of really where this movie shines. Yeah, really. It's like really like this is kind of the thing that it has that that no other adaptation really has in the same way. And um, weirdly, I think it's like the thing that hurts the the Disney one, like the animated um, Jim Carrey version oh is gosh. all of like it looks, and we haven't talked about that yet when we so I'm, I'm like burying the lead a little bit, I guess, but mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. or unburying the lead. Uh, yeah. of my thoughts on that movie but it's almost like the opposite problem where the ghostly swooping around and supernatural elements really elevate this and make it like stunning to watch almost like the yeah. snowman it reminds me a little bit of that same kind of feel sometimes um mm -hmm. god i love the snowman anyhow 
Yeah. Um, so we, we get one more fun swoop over like the city where you see all the smoke rising out of the chimneys and it looks like an actual like real place, which is bananas. And we fly into Fred's party, um, which we get enough of to get the point across. There's not a ton done with Fred in this. Because, like his mom's not even a character in this movie. So um, if you're going to cut, this is the one place you can cut. But I really wish they had found because there's nothing else I would want them to take out that would benefit this. But I wish they could have kept the speech in. I wish they could have kept more of Fred's. The, the game, I, I really do believe the game is a, a nice thing for Scrooge to see. Not nice for him to see, but like you need that there for yeah. him to watch that. And uh, we don't get the game again. I'm kind of upset about that. But that's, that's one little thing. Uh, then we go right out of that to um, a black background and Scrooge is holding the robe of the ghost. Yeah. Um, so we, the, the ghost has aged. He looks a little bit smaller. His beard is longer covering up his like creepy chest hair. Thank he's, God. he's like gone white. Um, and Scrooge notices something sticking out from underneath his robe. Uh, so the, the spirit opens his robe and we get ignorance and want for the first time since the last time Alistair Sim was was on this show. Um pretty haunting. Jump. This is this is this is another uh this is another creepy uh thing in this movie that's really haunting and effective. It's scary. It's it's a, it's it, it's threatening. You know, like yeah. you f- you feel like especially ignorance, which is the which is you know the last emphasis yeah. point that uh, the ghost makes. I was reminded of Gollum, which I think is going to happen multiple times with these characters. Yeah, yeah, hard, to, hard it, to avoid that comparison. But then it went a step beyond, and it became ignorance became even scarier than Gollum to me. Like yeah. just the rage at that last moment, you know, like yeah, he's kind of like like so so ignorance is like literally like a little skeletal goblin thing he's like hunched on all fours he's got sharp teeth there's a point at which his physical form starts to warp a little bit which i thought was extra creepy like he's the ignorance is so vile that it's it's almost straining to like maintain its shape um want is really pathetic it's like a little girl kneeling with like her hands out and she just looks like starving and hollowed yeah, out she's like really sunken eyes like kind of kind of like no eyes almost actually both of yeah. these um the bags under the eyes are really emphasized like if you i w- again i wish we had a better quality version of this but like you can count like three or four bags of eyes under each eye mm-hmm. and but then the eye especially want is still a child you know, like it's still mm-hmm. a child in there and yet not. But essentially with like no eyes, like a hollowed out, like like two black hollows where her eyes should be. Yeah. Um, and they yeah. both kind of also like she's very emaciated. And, and mm-hmm. meanwhile, he's like a little goblin with his, you know, his claws and stuff. And and I, I also noticed they did the thing that we were talking about earlier where they were like cross fading between lower frame rate frames. So they have sort of Ooh, like I miss a little that. bit. I, I think so anyway. At least it kind of looks like it for me. Where I think I think the frame rate's like a little higher than what they were doing earlier, but it but it does have this sort of like weird ghostly quality. Where yeah, like the, they're, the yeah, they're they're, un- kind of they're like really unsettling each other in like a yeah. Oh my god! You can see on a way. 
you can see when you do like real slow with ignorance that like the muscles and bone are like so thin and exposed on the arm and claws like almost coming out like it's 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 so nice to see it done right (laughs) yeah yeah and i think a lot of times with these characters what we'll get is like two just like uh, like emaciated children with some like face makeup to kind of hollow out their eyes and cheeks that sort of stand there and stare at scrooge and don't do much with a couple of exceptions um this is a a nice effective version um in this this is a version of the story that doesn't really pull punches when it comes to the dark elements um appropriately because we're about to see um one of those dark elements arise so the bell rings we get the clock again and the spirit just blips out like he's gone he fades out of existence immediately and we pan around scrooge and he's being approached by a tall, dark, cloaked, very classic Ghost of Christmas future. Black on black, which I thought was like a daring choice for this to to be like, we're going to do one shade of black for this ghost and another shade of black for the background, and it'll work. It looks very cool. It makes his hand really stand out, which I think is Yo. very effective, right? Because there we get another one of my favorite uh, beautiful, knobbly, you know, veiny hands where you can see all the little bumps and bones and sinews and stuff i Um, i literally just have the hand animation exclamation point written in my notes because (laughs) his hand is like almost like a little too large for his body so there's like a a slightly unnatural like the way that it's kind of scaled compared to he's like a pretty thin tall figure but he's got this like really large highly detailed hand kind of grayish and what's great is there's this when Scrooge is playing with him, like, OK, I understand you're here. What you, you've got to show me what you've got to show me. I want to change that type of speech moment when he transitions to showing him the, the, the robe matches the black background. So the only thing we see really is the floating of the hand as we transition to uh, one of Scrooge's place of business. With a gentleman with a very, very, very unfortunate nose. Yeah, yeah. So just to not to, to to belabor this point, but the way this hand is animated in some of these sequences, it's like if you opened an anatomy textbook and looked at like an, an anatomical drawing of a hand, but then like every frame is a different anatomical drawing of a hand <laughs> that all yeah. kind of flow together. Mm-hmm. It's really, really intense. Yeah. And it's all shaded. And like, I think that's, that's a thing that we haven't really talked about, but throughout this movie, you know, m- most of the time when you do a uh, 2d animation, just to save time and also make it look more consistent and less flickery. Generally, you don't really shade it. <laughs> like sometimes you can, but, um, and, and it's got better in recent years, the way, the way they, they go about this, but like, you know, you watch any Mickey Mouse cartoon, it is it is a clean line and it is flat colors underneath of it. Um, and they really, like, got rid of that whole concept for this movie. And instead, everything is, like, every character is kind of like a little illustration. And they are simple generally, but they all have, like, a little bit of shading. And they all have, like, a little bit of, of like, wrinkles and, and internal details. And they're a little sketchy. It's almost like you're looking at the pencil drawings just cleaned up. Um, and it's really beautiful and it does have this kind of flickery quality where it's like almost like it doesn't have that like perfection that you would see in like a Disney cartoon or something like where you forget that they're even drawings and you're just like watching a a character move. And I think of this, it's almost like a celebration of the drawing where it's like, yeah, this is going to flicker around a little bit. This is going to 
kind of have this like shifty quality like where the surface of the of the character's skin and stuff is going to kind of change and it's not always going to look the same you're going to you're going to almost see each drawing as it passes by and note it um and i think you really see that in his hand here when it's like especially like this last bit where he points um and and it transitions um because it's fully shaded it's like it's like it almost again almost kind of looks rotoscoped or traced and it, it's possible it is but um it anyway, looks really still. gorgeous yeah. a lot of work a lot of work yeah which i think is also kind of part of the reason that sometimes the acting and performances in this movie like there's some times where it's really great and there's some times where it's really awkward and i think where when it's really awkward it is a res probably a result of just how long it takes to do one of these shots and the fact that they like they do all this labor and work because there's immense amount of labor that goes into this animation even compared to normal animation because of how detailed the characters are and kind of they seem like even if you didn't do as much detail they're difficult to draw shapes you know um they're very realistic and i think at a certain point like as an animator you do something and you look at it when it's all done and you're like oh that came out okay <laughs> well i can't change it you know <laughs> i don't have i don't have the time and money like you know you have to pay an animator to redo every everything and it you know would take an animator like a week to do at a certain point uh, you just are like a second or two yeah at a certain point you just have to be like good enough all right let's move along and i think there's a lot of stuff like that in this movie um and which is fine i think i think a lot of like amazing things come out of it and some stuff that isn't quite as amazing and it, it ends up being something very interesting you know yeah so um, we get these interesting guys at the exchange um there's a transition for you jimmy yeah. you were talking about this guy's yeah. nose you want to explain what we're talking God. about so we we have a man here who is definitely suffering from some sort of disease uh i believe it's called let me see here if i get the pronunciation correct i'm gonna say rhino ophius i i'm dyslexic friends trying to read scientific latin words it's not good for me <laughs> But he's suffering what looks to be from two different types of diseases, which are the same on his nose, which makes his nose warped and red, right? Enlarges his nose and reddens his nose. And it's kind of drooping over his uh, front lip. And I think this was a clear callback to J.P. Morgan, who also suffered the same exact thing and was, of course, a famous, you know, big rich person in this country history so i i'm wondering if that's what he's going for here like is this his like little call out of jp morgan or well the reference? character is described as having a weird protuberance on his nose in the book it's not really described beyond that but in the novella charles dickens specifically describes this character with the weird thing on his nose um and it kind of like wiggles around while he talks almost like he's a turkey like it looks like a like a turkey <laughs> gobble it, it's um, very upsetting looking <laughs> yeah it, it ain't good it ain't it ain't i really book. I really enjoy the designs on all of these, the exchange guys. There's like one dude oh, with a huge great. nose who's like sticking his fingers up his nose to put snuff in there. And it's just yeah. like good caricature faces. You immediately mm -hmm. get like what types of people these are. Yeah, I really worst. love that guy. The guy who sticks the snuff up his nose, like his his hand acting is really great. Like I love everything that he does with his hand throughout this sequence. Ugh. Um, it's all very subtle and realistic, but really interesting. Like he makes these very kind of like fey gestures with his hand as he's like laughing about how Scrooge is dead or old yeah. Scratch rather. Yeah, old Scratch. Yeah. <laughs> the animation on the nose 
is sickening, okay? <laughs> it just flopped around when he he went back to laugh and it the the nose laughed with him as but it was it was separately laughing like the nose itself was like haha funny joke there face and it was it's gross and it's good that's gross because they're having a gross conversation like this is three men three of the worst talking about another worst dying uh spoilers and it's just if you if you walk away from this conversation either wanting to be like these guys or wanting to crack wise like these guys, you suck. Just say. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I feel like this sequence, the Ghost of Christmas Future, usually moves a little bit faster than the rest of the story just because we kind of got to get on with it. Um, and this version is no exception. I feel like we get the most like zipping and zooming within a really short amount of time. Um, Scrooge is immediately like zipped and zoomed to arguably a, a even worse pawn shop than the 1950s version. It, this looks like it's in an actual cave. It also has the same like weird children that are like sorting through the rags and scrap. And I, I definitely feel like I don't know if there's an illustration of this character in the original text, but this guy looks exactly like the actor that plays old Joe in the 1950s version. This like kind of oh, rat face guy. Yeah, the other two women there are close, not as close as old Joe, but they're they're similar to the other women that are there in that scene. Um, before we get to old Joe, there's a really great the, the rats in this scene. Oh are yeah, scary. <sighs> there's a real very nice transition where when we're zipping around, which by the way, when you watch this, friends, it does. That's how the best way to describe it: the zip cuts and. Flickers yeah, stuff. yeah, like when they enter the room, it's like zip over to them, and then it zips to the left. <laughs> it zips so, down the alleyways. It zips along the, the the ghost of Christmas Future's arm as he's pointing down the alleyway. <laughs> right, it's just it's zipping all over the place. But what it zips to here is a real close up of a rat, which is, and it's got the eyes and the hair, and then it runs off, and it doesn't run and hide. It kind of goes into the background and becomes part of old Joe's place, which I personally feel like it makes it look filthier, you know, like the fact that it kind of becomes one with the floor and like, it's all filth. That's the space. And it's not the last time we see a rat, but it's just, it's so. It's it's grimy and it is dark and it's got that same kind of like Gothic deep black shadows. Like the kids have no eyes. They're just like in shadow. It's all it's it's very distressing. <laughs> and and the use of brown and amber here, like just Yeah. It's like yeah, decaying. It, it's like something decayed. That's what it feels like, you know? Yeah. yeah. And these two kids kind of remind me of ignorance and want. And they're just like there are little kids. I, out I don't there. think that's by accident that no. inclusion. And I think it's I think it's significant that we've had like a pair of little kids in each version. There's like those happy dancing kids in the Christmas past, and then there's like mm. the ignorance and want. And now we've got like these little kind of waifs picking through the scraps in this like creepy whatever situation is going on here. Um, 
but at, but during the present, we have examples of both children who are living, you know, with loving families and stuff like that with the Cratchits. So it's like, yeah, it's on the razor's edge what can happen. But if Scrooge doesn't change his ways, look what's going to happen to the kids in your future and what, how you're going to have an effect on them. Yeah, I am particularly fond of this scene where so they they zip from old Joe's to the bedroom where the corpse is laying on the bed under the sheet. And I'm I'm particularly fond of the way that this scene is composed. Um, the spirit's arm is like pointing down towards the bed and just the the whole like really severe attitude and angle of the hand it's almost touching the the forehead it it communicates so much without the spirit having to speak at all and like we usually get the scene the spirit's pointing at the bed yada yada but just like there's something like it's like when you watch those like super satisfying videos on youtube and you just get that like warm feeling of watching something get cut really perfectly the, something about the way that this hand is acted in this animation the way it's pointing down and directing all this energy at the bed is like visually so arresting and i think alistair sim does a really funny piece of acting here where he's like he's like i get it i get it you want me to look i really don't think i can do that <laughs> I'm, mm-hmm. I, I don't have the power to do this yeah, um, like he's he's like just trying to reason with the spirit, and he's not like frankly like he gets it. It's almost like I get it. I get I get the idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I understand. I don't want to have to look at my own dead body under the shroud. Yeah, and just and it's back- funny because it kind of cuts back and forth. He's like, yeah, okay, I get it, spirit, and the spirit's like pointing more severely, like mm-hmm. leaning in a little bit. Yeah, more. like that very subtle, just like edges a little closer. <laughs> And going back uh, to the beginning, when the hand transitions from old Joe's to this room, the way the light comes in onto Scrooge's deathbed there. Oh, yeah. It's I'm reminded of Ave Maria at the end of Fantasia at that moment. Just the way the lighting is worked and it just. Mm, love it. <laughs> um, I can just gush so, over good things, John. It's OK. I don't have to be like, oh, and this <laughs> speaks about like the. Uh, the battle between good and evil and the man's soul. No, that was really cool. <laughs> yeah. This is, this is like the redemption for Scrooge. Anyway, um, Scrooge, the musical for us on Jacob oh. Marley is dead. Oh, yeah. So um, the pace feels really urgent at this point. Um, Scrooge asked to see some like tenderness connected to a death. And we just cut to Bob weeping over the corpse of tiny Tim for a hot second. And that's really all we get of that. Like, Oh, and Tiny Tim's dead, and then we're going to zip to the world's most claustrophobic graveyard. They they had to do what they had to do. I mean, look at the freaking amount of time left. At that moment, right as Bob is crying over Tiny Tim's bed, they're at twenty minutes. They've yeah, got... it doesn't it doesn't have a ton of time to like land, but it's I think it's jarring enough to see him like weeping over the death of his child that you're like, oh god, and then you're in a graveyard. Yeah, it's very it's a very shocking. It's a very like uh, some tenderness, please. Oh God! I didn't mean that. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, and like he couldn't take it anymore. Like, which I could believe. I could believe if Scrooge saw that, like, oh, that's that's too much. That's too much for me. And then, by the way, in between these transitions, wonderful zips here. Like, oh really, yeah, like yeah, great. Like little like. If you slow it down, because each one kind of feels like it's moving in a different direction. Like they're not. It's not all the same zip because like everything in this movie is individually animated out and thought through. 
So you really get a sense of movement from one place to the next place to a different place and then back again. Um, it, it really keeps you engaged in where Scrooge is at at any point in the story. It feels like a crane shot. It feels like a crane shot double cranked or something like that that is following along. Like you, that, like it just it swoops in so fast and it's great. But it's almost like uh, all the shots in um, in like uh, like Return of the Jedi when they're riding on the speeder bikes and the way they shot them was literally just they're walking through the woods um, with cameras for a while for like a really far distance and then they just play it back super fast that's how they did all the shots that's kind of what i feel like all these transitions almost feel like yeah where it's like it is they they run a they've just like walked a camera through this area um and then sped it up but you know again these backgrounds are all just like single drawings that are really distorted that the camera is tracking along to create that's so wild <laughs> yeah but that's movie magic that's movie uh-huh. magic the walking in the woods thing the fact like milo was saying like if we looked at this like in real life it would look like a mess but with the skilled hand and planning you can create wonderful visuals and and just make an amazing piece of art um I have written here some anima- animator was like, I'm going to make a statement with this hand, which I think is referring to the ghost of Christmas <laughs> present. Um, <laughs> I paused right at the hand, John. So it was on the screen for like five seconds before that. And then it's like, slow pan out. <laughs> well, because I feel like they've been edging for a while on just like great shots of this ghost's hand. And then there's, so they're in the graveyard and the, the gravestones are like, they must be burying these people standing vertical straight up because the gravestones are all like almost gathered around like in encroaching in on where scrooge's grave is in this like really tight weird little block um watch they're watching you know that weirdly that might be kind of i don't think it's accurate but i actually do think that speaks to something interesting about victorian london where like there were so many dead that they did not have room for them like that is a fact they had they had um uh graveyards like piled on top of graveyards they had mass graves and things like that it was just that it was like that bad so i i don't know if that was like the intent of this image but it is what it evokes for me because like yeah because that's in there yeah it's it is it's like slightly stylized but it doesn't when you look at it it feels like something you've seen in a picture or a movie or like Mm -hmm. it Mm -hmm. it feels both both stylized in a way that draws your attention to this weird little hollow in the middle where scrooge's grave is but also like doesn't feel unrealistic it's it's just well designed but and it when it totally fits in i think with dickens over like overarching themes in his work which like so much of is about like the plight of the urban poor you know yeah yeah exactly, <laughs> exactly. And, and the weight of the situation building up and building up on top of scrooge in that moment it just it, it all fits it's yeah Really? Yeah, because because even the graveyard itself feels a little bit like a tomb, like it's because it's like almost like a little square. It's not very large and they're right in the middle of it with all the gravestones facing in. Um, But the the spirit's hand moves like from Scrooge and then does this like painfully slow turn really in close up past the camera to point at the grave. And it's just like it's so good. It's so cool. 
And I think if it were just in film, like if this was just an actor being filmed, I would, I'd be like, yeah, he points over at the grave, but, but it's so detailed the way in which it's animated and it communicates so much as Alistair Sim is like begging the spirit, like something has to change. Like I can do something different. Please don't let this happen. Um, you even get that moment where the hands start like the hands been very severe and posed and then it like starts to falter and the finger bends a little bit as Scrooge persuades it, which you don't see all the time. Like you don't get the moment where the spirit is like, OK, you're getting it. You're getting it. Right. You. It's almost like you are no longer damned. Like, all right, I feel like you passed the test at this point. Yeah. <laughs> but still needing to give that last scare. To, yeah. You know, like. Not get sent to literal Dante's Inferno. Oh no! no. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but <laughs> it's not. Wait, we're not following that script here. Okay, good to go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um. So Scrooge like wraps his arms around the spirit, and it turns into his bed curtains. And I, I will say, this is this is the one moment where Alistair Sims' voice acting lets me down because I feel like they've got this seventy-year-old man in a sound booth somewhere, and he just can't quite muster the emotion for me that this moment needs. It felt a little subdued. And maybe that's just me. Like maybe I just like my Scrooge to be like really excited in this moment. I think he gets there eventually, but to me it just felt a little bit like I needed a little bit more to sell his transformation. Yeah. I also, I actually think this is one of the areas where I actually think the animation lets the story down a little bit too. Cause I think they probably, I feel like you know, like with animation, I think the performance is like is is like sort of like a the performance of the character is like is this kind of shared burden between the animator and the voice actor, right? Totally. Yeah. And like you can you can have a really good voice read and like botch it with the animation, and you can as an animator you can kind of elevate a bad voice read if you really work on it and really figure out something. And I feel like here's like a scene that where like there's a voice performance which is kind of subtle and then there is a an animation like performance that is kind of I would almost say like a little saccharine and corny and and maybe a little too subtle as well. It's static. <laughs> it's compared yeah. to everything else we've gotten. It's very much like, here's the camera, here's the bed. We're going to shoot the mm-hmm. scene where look, I get what I get. The idea might've been that we've, we're going to do our really outside the box stuff during the supernatural stuff. Or we're going to use the ghosts. And then the real world is going to be based in like traditional filmmaking angles and stuff like that. Well, that's fine. But then you well, need little... Sims to like really sell this moment. And we've already seen him do it and heard him do it in the previous film. And he's knocked it out the park there. Mm. So it's tough. Yeah. There's definitely something I feel like that came that like went where this, I feel like this scene is one of the weaker scenes in the whole movie. Yeah. <laughs> for, yeah. For what is, and I think also too, there's almost this like stage like thing where he's like walking around in his room acting kind of just like walking back and forth and doing some arm acting. And I, I feel like there's maybe something more effective they could have done cinematography wise. There's something to show the excitement. Like it sort of is just this very flat scene, yeah. you know? Yeah. Well, <laughs> and, and, and the movie's been like cooking energy wise up until this point with like yeah. the, the ghost of Christmas future sequence really like, ramps up the pace and really gets you like, okay, like what's going to happen to this dude. And then it, it just kind of like fizzles out. 
like right. there's no impact of this moment yeah and like the, he's doing these like cuts like to the like he asides to the camera like an intelligent boy like all that type of stuff which is fine you can do it but it's yeah, the asides so... to the camera was kind of strange too that was a yeah, weird choice it's it's, it's what he ne- we don't have anybody selling his transition to this scrooge now we have nobody there to say what the heck is going on with scrooge right there's no housekeeper the kid on the street is there for like five seconds we need people to play off of Scrooge so we know Scrooge has changed. We get a little bit of that here, and maybe it was part of the time, but he goes right from the bedroom talking to the kid on the street, and he's already at the turkey. We need yeah. a lot more steps in between there, or at least one person that is established to react to him. Like in the Alistair Sin one in the 1950s, his housekeeper is right there, and he kind of like, opens himself up to her and's like well there we go we know it's it worked and everything yeah. there's nobody else in this room for him to play off of and it i think that's part of it which is which is traditional so it's it's a it's a traditional version of this scene but i think this movie has managed to do the traditional version of this story in a in artistically interesting ways and and the ending of it lets me down but if you're going to do the traditional ending here, right, that's I get that. I get that point. But the performance that needs to carry that and that could either yeah. be in the animation or in the voice and neither yeah, do that, pre- preferably right? both. Yeah, right. Preferably both. But like both kind of drop the ball here a little bit compared to the rest. So I, I almost wonder if and this is probably a question for the the actual animator in the room, but like, I I almost wonder if some of the sequence was like the last stuff that they did and they were just trying to like get it in under a deadline, which doesn't feel very Richard Williams, I guess, based on what I mean, you told us about him. It's, but. Well, no, I mean, the thing is, I mean, he's ambitious, but he's also like, you can tell there are budget limitations on this thing as ambitious as it is. Cause yeah. it's definitely, cause it's not perfect. And there's a lot of things that are not perfect about it. And like, and the other thing too is that like this is like the kind of less interesting stuff in the movie. There's also a chance it was handed off to less experienced animators because they were just like, ah, this is like there's a chance that they were like, ah, we have to animate a whole boat turning in space with like ocean <laughs> waves crashing and like all the clouds animated perfectly and in like a crosshatchy ink style and swoopy things and realistic seagulls and maybe we should put our really experienced animators on that and like the ghostly stuff like i i could be wrong but like yeah i I also i i I, it does seem like this this whole sequence was less emphasized like i just don't feel like think they cared about this part as much as the other stuff yeah, I think there were even bits when where they were like we're gonna put all of our effort into it all the cool supernatural shit and then this is like eh even when he talks to the like the charity collector on the street it like it's weird like there's the way that the characters interact like when scrooge first approaches him there's some really funky just the way he's moving looks off to me compared to other places also like the perspective is crazy in the very first shot the very first shot you see of him it's almost like scrooge is like sunken into the ground he's got this Um, squat look hunched over like a football player about to tackle the charity collector and it's (laughs) are you going to give him a big hug are you going to steal money from him what's happening here right right so so there's the very first shot where like scrooge enters the shot from screen left right in the foreground (laughs) and so there's 
I'm going to give you guys like a little perspective hot tip real quick. The when when the horizon line cuts through a part of like a character's body, it should cut through the same part of another character's body because the horizon line is always at your eye line. So like their shoulders should be equal on this for the perspective to be correct if they're the same height. Interesting. So that's how you can kind of tell like right off just like from a glance that the perspective is insane in the shot does it does it work that way if they're if they're on a hill uh no if not if they're on the hill but if they're on a flat surface walking towards each other because i feel like i don't i i don't have it up in front of me at the moment but i felt like when i watched this it felt like the guy was coming down a hill because of the way that that perspective yeah is, is i don't think it's supposed to be though <laughs> no 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 i agree <laughs> it almost does because it like when you look at it it's just like oh no it's just a street like you can see the the buildings like going past him and stuff like it's almost like you almost want to see it cut back and then he's like, oh, he's standing at the bottom of a flight of stairs or something like that. Yeah, weird. But then, but then it cuts over and he is like what, what Jimmy has said. He's like, he's like crouched and leaning forward <laughs> and kind of like, hey, Gov, can I sell you a watch? Spare <laughs> <You know? laughs> like, a, a hayseed yeah. for anybody? Yeah. Well, how about a screwed <laughs> smile? <laughs> <laughs> right. Thank you, Pat Oswald. <laughs> it's, it's very, <laughs> it's very funny. This whole bit is very funny, and then like, there's like a weird down shot on Scrooge while they're talking too. Yeah, uh, yeah. Like, it's all it's all very funky, and it's like strange, and I don't know where that happens in the planning process. And again, I think maybe these were just done by the less skilled animators. Maybe this was handed off to people who were a little newer because they probably had to hire a bunch of extra people to finish it or something. Right. Who knows? Who the hell right. knows? Right. <laughs> and like, I can get that. And that makes perfect sense. What you're saying about like passing it off to like the, the like, all right, this is more traditional setting, more realistic, like work on here. We'll do this. That's not the same for the screenplay though. Like the screenplay here is bad too. Like you, the script has got this whole like exchange over the amount is the most awkward. I have seen it. In any of these movies, actually, like meaning when Scrooge tells the 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 guy how much money he's going to give him, yeah, he doesn't really clear that's what he's whispering into his ear, is it? I yeah, know, <laughs> like, 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 he's just like, like, excuse me, sir, can I whisper in your ear? Come visit me later. It almost he's feels like, like he's propositioning him. Yeah, well, exactly. <laughs> I'll give you some of my Christmas cheer. I'll give Finney's version <laughs> this. I'll give it this. He might have had to shout it from across the street over a musical number, but he got the money there, okay? You you are very aware that he loves life by the end of that movie. Yes. <laughs> You're very aware. <laughs> Is this going to be a running gag on the podcast? We're just beating that poor movie to death even more? Oh, like, man. what were you... There, I'm, there are some I feel like that we have coming up that I feel like are going to eclipse. We're going to look back on on Albert Finney's Scrooge with like fondness. Um, <laughs> all right, let's let's bring this puppy home here. So um, after the happy Scrooge montage and after he propositions the charity collector um, for what we have no idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's he's back in his counting house and and uh, the Fred's you first. know. Oh, he does. That's right. He he goes to, he goes to Fred's house, and they're just like, "Come in," and that's sort of the end of it. It's not. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're really trying to just like, okay, wh- what are all the beats we have to hit? What who are all the people he was mean to when he was a bad person? Now, you know, and that there's he's a good person. and there's no zooms like there were before. It just fade in, yeah, fade out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
Um, well, you only get zooms when ghostly things are happening. I right. do feel like there's actually a stylistic distinction That's between true. the That's two. Fair. Like we're back yeah, yeah, yeah. No, totally. Reality. Um, I th- and I think if like the animation and, and acting was good in this sequence, you wouldn't notice it. But I feel like it's such a letdown after like the visual feast that is the rest of this movie. Um, so back in the counting house. Bob is like st- already standing in the doorway. We just kind of cut like it's almost like in medias res to Scrooge being like, why are you showing up late? Um, and, he, and then he tells Bob he's going to give him a raise and, and all that jazz. And then he kind of sits down at his desk and like laughs. And I almost like God, he has a crazy. Cr- he has a crazy laugh for a second there. <laughs> like his yeah. first laugh where he's like, it's <laughs> like eyes bug well, out for a second. He shoots towards the camera. That's <laughs> Alistair Sim. Like in right. the, even in the 1950s one, like you really see that come through in his version too. So he's doing like kind of a riff on his original, like crazy Scrooge. There yeah. is a very cool detail here where he stands up to like, like he's going to fire Cratchit and he pushes himself up from the desk on his knuckles instead of like bending his wrist palms flat. And it's such a like thing that an old man with weak wrists would do. Mm. And it's, it's such a like fun little detail. And it's like, who would think to do that? Yeah, so that kind of brings us to the end um, mm-hmm. of, of this adaptation, our first animated adaptation. Um, so Milo, you've been listening to the show, so ho- hopefully you're prepared for what happens next. But I have a few, uh, I have a few questions that um, I usually ask when we come to the end of our stories. Um, first of all, who gets uh, your prize turkey um, for this? So the prize turkey goes to the thing that we enjoyed most about this adaptation. It can be basically anything um james why don't you start us off tell us oh, about your thanks. prize turkey for this episode <laughs> thanks there's like i was waiting to see what you guys picked so i wouldn't have to choose um because <laughs> there's a lot there's a lot and i won't go into my what i'm tossing in my head between because there's a lot of different things but i guess i gotta go with the ghost of christmas pass I've been really looking forward to a, a, a either a really interesting take or a very accurate take to what Dickens writes. And this is this is both. It is very close to what Dickens puts in there, but there's just a little things that are different, some interesting choices. And when you look at The Ghost of Christmas Past, you also get this really unsettling feeling, which you're supposed to get even as a 21st century human being like who's seen every other type of movie to see something daring and new. I haven't seen anybody else really try this successfully because you see movies that try to do the Dr. Strange, like multiple hands thing. Like when Dr. Strange looks at his hands, he's got like hands coming out of his hands type of stuff. Spoilers. Uh, (laughs) Movies try this type of stuff. And when you do it realistically, like using humans, it doesn't quite land, but it animated, it, it works. And I can't, I can't pick anything else besides this. It was really, I was so happy once I saw. Um, All right, Milo, what is, uh, what is your prize turkey going to for this? It's our mean, first my, guest turkey. Yeah, my, my guest turkey has to go to Richard Williams, I think. I, I feel like oh, that's probably obvious wow. at this point. But like, I just, it's just... He's he's a pretty wild guy. He had like a really amazing career and he had a really like I think the work he did on this movie and the work he coaxed out of his artists on this movie is really 
something else and it's not like it's definitely not perfect i think there's definitely things about it that are like stepping stones to what he would do later better but he but i think like i think that that ambition is on full display and i have a little i have a little prize stuffing which is that um uh chuck jones insisted that they that they stick to the style of the illustrations Oh, and I think that's an important little detail uh, that I forgot to bring up earlier okay, Chuck. during the whole thing. So, like, he's he's the, you know, Richard Williams. I think the the this movie exists on his back in a lot of ways. Um, but uh, price stuffing to uh, <laughs> to um, Chuck Jones. <laughs> I'm gonna okay. steal that, Milo. I'm gonna steal yeah. price stuffing. Um... Price stuffing. It's a little bonus. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I got it. <laughs> John, what's your uh, what's your uh, turkey? All right, is my prize turkey um, is going to go to this uh, film's portrayal of Jacob Marley. Uh, I think this was the moment. There were there were a couple of moments early on in this movie where I was like, "Oh wow, this is actually really good." Like the scenes where he's climbing the stairs, walking through the city streets, that kind of set you up for like, "Oh, this isn't just some old cartoon. This is this is like something different." Um, but as soon as the Jacob Marley came in and I saw kind of the direction they were taking things, that was when I really realized what this was going to be as an experience. So for me, the, the extra creepy Jacob Marley in this is, is what's going to get my prize Turkey. Now this is, this is going to be tricky. Although I almost wonder if we're all going to a- end up in the same place. Uh, James, what gets your lump of coal for this movie? Damn you. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I think my lump of coal has to go to, give me a second here, because there's a lot to, because it's so good. And my head also wants to say that my stuffing would have been Tiny Tim. Tiny Tim was really good in this version. Really unique look and solid performance. As I try to buy myself some time to think (laughs) of what I hate about this movie that is actually something that is like disagreeable. Like, I guess if I had to pick something, it would be the last three minutes of the movie. Like, like, like the last. And I know that might be the same for a couple of you out there, but it's like, it just the the movie is at a ten or a nine most of the time for what it's doing and the a lot of time it's going for. This movie is great. It is solid. But those last few moments just take it down just enough to where it's like, it's not perfect. It's great, but it could have been, could have been the quintessential. It could have been like uh, Chuck Jones's uh, How the Grinch Stole Christmas. You know, like, wait, that is Chuck Jones, right? I'm not crazy here, right? Yeah, yeah, that's Chuck Jones too. All right. (laughs) But it's like, (laughs) like yeah, like the definitive version. More than the book, more than any movie, more than any musical, the animated short of How the Grinch Stole Christmas is the best version of the story. This version was that close to sticking the landing. It's still extremely good, but those last three minutes bring it down. Um, Milo, how about you? What's your cold? Oh, God. I was trying to think during that <laughs> I could come up with something. Um, well, what if I take one minute, I don't know, my... then you take another minute, and then John, you take yeah. the last minute. And then... Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, um, you can double up. There's no rule against 
Yeah, I mean, my instinct is to say that that the end of the movie too. I, I mean, I think um, it's hard to say because like my 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 like animation critic brain wants to come out and be like, well, it's way too fast paced sometimes, and the editing is very weird. There's some very strange, my my like <laughs> like there's um a lot of like cinematic rules in the editing that are broken, and the movie's a little worse for it. Like. Um, but I don't want to get into all the technical detail. I the the I think the all right. What's what are we calling this thing again? The, the this is our lump, lump of lump of coal. Oh yeah, our lump. I think my lump of coal would be um deadlines slightly destroying art. You know, I feel like I feel like all my problems with this movie are literally just that. Well, they could not have possibly had enough time to make it perfect you know yeah and and there are a lot of weird things in it there's a lot of weird editing decisions in it and storytelling decisions in it but like god like i i don't know i think they did the best that they could so deadlines money money is the real villain here yeah <laughs> that's what i think yeah. money well, is my love of cool <laughs> charles dickens would certainly agree with you yeah, yeah. If we've got one philosophy on this podcast it's money is pretty bad <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> or the people holding the purse strings, I guess. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Eat the rich. Um, anyway, so so I, th- I think. Sorry, that... if that's too open ended. No, 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 you're no, good. no John. That's, that's fine. John. I, th- I think it's hard for one that's really good because you really have to like get down to like the nitty gritty or be open ended. I think my lump of coal is the ten or fifteen minutes missing from this that would have given the the plot a little bit of time to breathe. Yeah. I think there there are places where it, it could have slowed down to let things have some some meaningful impact or to let things sit i like it's hard to say right because i think in a lot of ways that the rapid pace is a really interesting way to do this story and show the like the structure of it is so sound that at any speed it kind of works um but i think i think that 10 or 15 minutes throughout for different things throw in his sister maybe maybe like show a little bit more of him as a young man so we understand why his fall from grace <laughs> is such a big deal maybe give tiny tim's death like a, a couple more minutes to to percolate um or let us like i think all of that moment, would be right because i almost feel like there's like all these moments where it's like you see scrooge have some sort of a reaction and then instantly oh no we're somewhere else yeah <laughs> you yeah. know <laughs> like like there's almost like no time to like hang anything on yeah like gotta room, go 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 room, and get to the next thing room for right. scrooge to consider what it is that he's seeing and more players um, on the stage build a, a richer ta- tapestry that way and, yeah. al- and also i think it would maybe just give some more weight to some of those really great transitions there if we are more st- I'm, i don't know like I would want to spend some more time in the Cratchit house, you know, definitely yeah. get a post tiny Tim scene in there. I would yeah. want to spend more time with Fred. Obviously I would have trusted this version with some more scenes with bell. I know they were sticking close to the novella, but you give them like one or two earlier scenes with bell. I would have been okay with that. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing in this that isn't taken from or adapted from the novella right. itself, which I think is, is, it is one of its strengths too, is it doesn't yeah, like over but it if you were gonna, things. but if you're gonna add something to give some more weight to something else, that could have been yeah. there. I would have loved more of Scrooge walking through the street. I could have done an additional whole minute more of just Scrooge walking through London. Like honestly, yeah. it was yeah. that nice. 
All right. Well, the the big question then for all of us um, is: this a version of a Christmas Carol that you see in your Christmas future, or is it going to stay in your Christmas past, James? Future or past? What do you think? I was listening to an episode uh, a while ago, and I had said yes because I was going to laugh at it. I think it was the Finney version. Um, I said no to the Alex Sin version because as much as I love the performance and I get a kick out of that type of film, it's so slow. It's it's very old. It's aged poorly. This is the first time I can say unequivocally, if that's the right way to say it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I can say without any doubt, this is in my Christmas future. This is 100% in my Christmas future. I think this is one I'm going to watch probably before the end of the week again. I'm going to go back through it, watch it. I'm going to suggest it. I'm going to watch this with kids at my school because I think it holds up really well for them. Is it a little scary? Sure. Is it quick? No doubt. Does it stick to the landing 100% perfectly? No. But for what it tries to do inside the way of it, inside of the structure, inside of the, yeah, let me take that a second. Inside of the arena that it has to play in, it knocks it out the park. Nice. Milo, uh, is this, is this in your Christmas future or Christmas past? Oh yeah. I mean, I think it, at this point it's well established. This isn't my Christmas future. <laughs> <laughs> this isn't my Christmas past, present and future. <laughs> nice. nice definitely definitely no nice. i mean i think it's i think it's really beautiful and i think there's again there's like there's little there are little things that are not perfect about it but like god the the supernatural imagery in it all those sequences are are some of the most stunning animation that's probably ever been done and i think that that alone you know and i don't yeah. you know i don't have this on like a, a better copy of this but like i i almost do want to see if i can track down a dvd of this at this point because uh, i feel like it would be worth having yeah yeah totally <laughs> i want to find a good print of this i want i will i don't i don't know what a i don't know film stock i don't know none of that stuff but i will buy a copy of this one if i can find it because it's that good but john is this version in your christmas past or your christmas future well, guys, we have a we have a triple header here because I definitely yes, definitely think that this is also in my Christmas future, um, which I think is the first time this might be the first time that we've actually agreed. Yeah, because I think on. Oh, Finney, no, we both said the Albert Finney one was in our Christmas future just for was, different reasons. But but I was saying it for like watching like the room like <laughs> <laughs> this ain't room future. This is. This is legit. Like, this is the yeah. first time we can say one without any qualifiers, I think. But you were saying, John. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I think that um, uh, this is a, a story that I, I plan to hopefully direct sometime in the future. I would really like to direct a production of this. And there's a lot of imagery from this version that I would definitely like to um, imitate or homage because I think it it because of its short um its short time frame it really has to do a lot of the work of telling the story with visuals and giving you a lot of information in a really short amount of time and there's a lot here that i would like to be able to kind of take away from um i think it's really really excellent it's my favorite one we've watched so far definitely and if you want john to except direct- for ghosts of girlfriends past of course <laughs> obviously but 
And if you want John to direct this, please write the letters to Town and Country Players and oh, get them no. to have John cut, direct. Cut, 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 cut. I'm cut, I knew cut. you were going to cut it. Yeah. <laughs> no, this one really... This one really is an amazing version, and uh, I'm really happy to have found it. I thought I'd watched this when I was a kid. I may have said on the podcast I watched this one when I was a kid. I had not seen this. I've never seen this version. I'm better for it and happier for it. Yeah. Well, uh, if you watched this version and you have anything that you want to tell us about it, you can reach out to us at uh, jacobmarleyisdead at gmail.com or you can tweet at us at marleyisdeadpod. Um, Milo, thank you for a couple of reasons. Thank you for our amazing cover art. I've already received like random Twitter compliments about it. Um, <laughs> yeah, we it's it's we really, really love it. Um, Thanks, man. What yeah, else? Sure what can we promote for you? What are what are you doing that people can look at and and enjoy? Um, in the well, probably the most you, you can follow me on Twitter, where I rant about politics, uh, retweet political things, and you know, once every three or four months, post a piece of art when I have time. Um, at uh, and that's at milonewman dot com. Uh, M I L O N E U M A N. Um. Or at Milo Newman, not at MiloNewman.com. Just yeah, at Milo no. Newman. No.com. Um, <laughs> you can also, I, I'm actually making a uh, kind of like a, a, a low fantasy webcomic. Um, I'm about 34 pages in, if you want to take a look. Actually, probably 35 or 36 by the time this episode goes out. It's, it's um, really good. I mean, we've been talking about how good the animation and stuff in this movie <laughs> is. I would I would put a lot of the art in this comic on a, a similar level, if I'm being totally honest. And I'm not I'm, I'm a little biased, but only a little bit. It's there's some really cool stuff. Going all, right, on. All, right, all right. Where do I I'm find having, this? Where do fun. I find I'm having this? Fun. You, you can you can find this comic. The comic is called Demetra of the Silver uh, Demetra and the Silver Mask. Um, you can read it um, on my website, which is uh, DemetraComics.com. That's D-I-M-I. T-R-A comics.com. I'll link all this um, in the show notes. So yeah. And it, don't, and it don't updates the spelling too much. Yeah. It, it uh, updates uh, every Monday, sometimes every Tuesday, depending on if I can get the page done by Monday, uh, but weekly. So uh, yeah. And it's, it's a little passion project. So I'm having fun with that. And uh, you'll also be able to see me um, in the special features of the Mortal Kombat Scorpion's Revenge DVD, if you really want to, if you're really curious, there's that too. Because <laughs> I did uh, do storyboards on that movie. Um, what? That, that, there you go. That's all my finest work. <laughs> if you're curious about what my face looks like, <laughs> you know, you could grab grab that Scorpion's Revenge Mortal Kombat DVD, please. <laughs> There you go. <laughs> oh my gosh. Are we going to have to drop a Mortal Kombat sound clip in here, John? I'm still figuring out the finer points of what sound bites I can and cannot include in this show without bringing the DMCA down on my head. I think it's a late limit, right? Is that how it works? Apparently, that's a myth. I think it's more just like how little can you do with and kind of fly under the radar, but gotcha, gotcha. Anyhow, uh, assuming uh, assuming the the courts of law of the United States don't take down our podcast, um, you rebel, can catch rebel. us again next week 
when we are going to be watching, James? A Christmas Carol. Yes, we are. We are going to be watching. We actually are going to be watching A Christmas Carol, specifically the 1999 production starring Sir Patrick Stewart. So Make it that's so. Gonna be, <laughs> that's going to be a good time for everybody. Um, Do you like thank Star you again. Trek and X-Men puns? Because you're going to get Star Trek and X-Men puns. That's what's going to happen, friends. It, it's it's going to be just the worst um thank you again to milo for coming on the show and i appreciate that and and sharing your exhaustive knowledge of richard williams um i might be able to include all of it i I don't know i have to decide this was supposed to be a one-parter it might end up being a two-parter cut it down cut it down real small (laughs) throw it all out john when you remember when we thought this was gonna be a short episode (laughs) i do i do all right, I'm gonna I'm gonna restart my credits because this is a, the whole mess. Um, <laughs> thank you again to Milo Newman for appearing on the show. Uh, really great to have you. Hopefully, we can do it again sometime soon. Um, yeah. Thank you to Ben DeVries who supplied our beginning, ending, and interstitial music under a Creative Commons license. We really, really appreciate having a good song to open and close the show. And thank you to you listener out there who continues to go on this strange bizarre journey of reviewing the same story every week until one of us goes insane Um, we hope you're enjoying it and we hope you stick around for more episodes so to send us out of here as tiny tim observed god bless us everyone Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.